crashes in you know it's time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you were one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run maybe you're in traffic we're there too we're gonna be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness actually A lot more than 90 this week. I'll get to that shortly because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Robinhood, Cashfly, and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who joins me on this Thanksgiving week to give thanks to all of you for making this show possible. It's Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving week. Also, I want to say up front for for the holidays, the Play Games Be Nice uh, Popsicle Super Nintendo-esque controller tee is back available on Cotton Bureau. They're using a slightly different printing method. Uh, Should still be good quality, a little cheaper, and proceeds still go to St. Jude. So you can go to cottonbureau.com and search for Play Games Be Nice. I got mine. uh, Get your shirt. Looks sharp, dude. Look, looks sharp. I got it. It's not, you know, not the summer anymore, but you can still rock the uh, the popsicle dripping in the in the hot hot heat. Looks like a controller. Looks really sharp. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it is no longer the summer, but uh, kids uh, still need help battling cancer. So I decided to. They offered to put it back up, and I said, "Let's do it." That's fantastic. Um, We got a lot to talk about. As I said, we're thankful for you guys being here. We've got a lot to be thankful for. This is going to be. You've probably already noticed if you if you noticed your your pod catcher of choice downloading this episode. <laughs> it's going to be a long one because uh, we have some bonus content at the end of the show. My friend and my co-host on the Slash Filmcast, Dave Chen, asked if he could uh, You get mean some your stuff. friend slash co-host slash good friend? <laughs> I already did a joke like that Aww. in the bonus content that we already recorded. But it's okay. It'll be like an hour and a half from now. People won't even remember. <laughs> um <laughs> He uh, he wanted to get some stuff off his chest with regard to Red Dead Redemption 2. So we recorded what I thought was going to be a 20-minute discussion. It turned into a 50-minute discussion. So that's going to be at the end of this episode. So uh, also I should note that at the beginning of that conversation, we say spoilers for Red Dead Redemption 2. And then don't get to spoilers for like 35 minutes. <laughs> so if you haven't <laughs> if you haven't finished red dead and you don't want to be spoiled you can actually still listen to a good portion of what we talk about because uh that's how that goes anyway lots to look forward to in this episode but we have tons even before that because we've got tons of games to talk about you think this time of the year isn't full of news wrong we got huge news to talk about and we have an awesome guest to do it with you know the dlc always stands for your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week i'm so excited because dlc stands for decidedly large comedy because we have writer comedian and certifiably tall person brock wilbur joining us for the first time hey brock hey gentlemen how we doing 
Doing well, man. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, I'm a big fan of you. You're one of my favorite comedians, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite Twitter streams to read. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, so I, if I can do just a, a brief 10 seconds of sincerity before I become who I am. Uh, glad that you're okay, bud. Uh, watching your Twitter feed this week with the fire and stuff and everyone else in LA, but like, especially some of your stuff was pretty harrowing. I was just like, God, I really hope Jeff's okay. And the family's okay. It's nice to see that you're in a good place. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I should, I should note that because I, I did talk about it last week and um, we are, we're very, very fortunate. Uh, we, we're never in any physical danger, uh, and you know it was scary. It was anxiety-inducing, but uh, we are very fortunate. A lot of people, a lot less fortunate than we, and uh, deserve uh, continued support. If you're able to, um, there are lots of deserving charities. Uh, lots of people lost their homes uh, very near me. Lots of my friends, people I know, uh, still haven't been able to get to homes, even homes that weren't destroyed. Several friends have ha- homes that were destroyed. It's it's been a harrowing time, but I, I appreciate you saying that. I, my family and I, uh, were were scared, but my goodness, are we fortunate? And uh, I'm I'm very grateful for that. I don't know how we go from the sincerity and genuine humanness of that to being like, can you believe what Cliffy B said this week? Oh my <laughs> god! Well, you know the 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 thing we can rely on is a catchy jingle. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And um, wow, an interesting week. A really fascinating week that, that has a lot of ramifications for the gaming industry as a whole. Brock, you are our guest. You get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your Story of the Week? Uh, boy, howdy. I think that we should probably dive right into uh, all the nominations for the Game Awards, uh, which seems to just keep spiraling wildly out of control. Indeed. <laughs> That's a good one way of putting it. Uh, Game Awards, I think, have uh, positions themselves, and I think the industry has embraced that, as being sort of the premier front-facing populist uh, gaming awards. You know, there's a lot of the GDC awards and a lot of prestigious sort of um, – uh, professionals awarding themselves. But this, I think uh, Jeff Keeley has positioned it as very much a uh, a premier audience-facing award ceremony uh, full of lots of reveals. And we got the nominations this week. Lots of stuff to dive into with, uh, with categories and such. I'll just briefly mention the game of the year, the big, uh, you know, the big top tier category, game of the year. This year's nominees are Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Celeste, God of War, Spider-Man, Monster Hunter World, and Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, so, Brock, what do you think of these? What do you think of the awards as a whole? What's your what's your feeling about all of this stuff? Uh I, I bring the same uh, level of seriousness to this awards as I do to most award shows, which is... Uh, well, you can't see the hand gesture I'm doing, but it's fine. It's fine. And it's nice. <laughs> it is nice to recognize achievements and things. And I think that some of the European awards uh, lately have done like a really good job of doing that. And maybe my biggest disappointment here is that um, the uh, Games for Impact just seems to be a category for like, uh, well, if you have gay characters, throw them in there and they can't be anywhere <laughs> else, uh, which I was like, well, that's uh, not great. Um, 
and but yeah. there's there's so much this year and there's so many things that like these genres don't really break down which is always my first place to start in a problem with award show like for example and and i i keep thinking about this and either i love this or i hate this uh there is a category for best ongoing game uh which right. seems relevant now because we have games that have no end point so it's destiny 2 fortnite no man's sky Overwatch and Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. So some of those games have a lot more content than others do. And some of those venture into like, well, if it's full on esport at this point, uh, like, of course it has to be that way, but also like how, how much of No Man's Sky is a never ending game. Uh, and like, it, it is also weird that like Destiny 2, which is the second entry in a series doing that thing is up against Fortnite, a game that came out and is just still out but that is the category it's it is it is a category that needs to be deconstructed to explain what you're even trying to do but it's an award show so eh, do whatever just throw them all in there give somebody an award and move on to the next thing the rest of it is that just simply like i'm i'm just i i am not an esports guy so like the second half of the list is all various types of like esport teams and presenters so i'm like i can't weigh in there so it looks yeah. fine to me <laughs> Well, I would go even farther. You, you know, you pointed out best ongoing game it, it being kind of hard to a little inscrutable. I think the whole structure of these awards is archaic and weird and doesn't make much sense. Uh, best ongoing game is a great example. Like what you know, you say what is what are the criteria of that? Is it a game that did really great this year in introducing new content, or is it just the best game that's still hanging around or, you know, what does that even mean? I would go farther and say, there's a, a category for best action game. Is there a video game that doesn't have action? Like what is a, what is best action game mean? And then there's another category of best action adventure game. So the games that only have action and don't have adventure Best action game is Far Cry 5. No adventure in that game? There's just an action game without adventure? But Where's best your action adventure game. novel category, like to combat all of this. At least pick some things yes. on the other ends of the spectrum. Which and and, and, and and like we've seen this in the in the Oscars this year. They went back and forth about whether or not they're including a category for like audience favorite at this point, because award shows know that people want to see the things that they like get awards and like I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of things that we can borrow from the Oscars. Maybe we shouldn't borrow that. But also, like, where's the category in the Game Awards for best costumes? Uh, you know, let's do some period <laughs> yeah. piece awards for games so that Assassin's Creed can win something every year. Yeah, yeah. And, and best role-playing game. So Monster Hunter World is a role-playing game, but Assassin's Creed Odyssey isn't? I, I All of this stuff... I think you make a great point, Brock, in saying it's an award show. It's just for fun anyway. It doesn't, it's not, you know, curing cancer. It's, it's just for fun. Who cares? It's kind of shrug your shoulders and you go, uh, but also if you want to position this as being, you know, meaningful in any way, I think these categories need to be rethought and really what, you know, what, what even is any of this? I think it's trying to, it's trying to create itself in the image of the Oscars. And I think that's laudable, but I think this industry is different enough that you kind of need a different template. And Christian, I'm curious what you think about this. And if you think that there's a, a solution, my proposal might be, 
to break things down by size of team and or budget. I know movies don't do that. I know you can have a very small independent movie that's nominated for best picture against a giant movie like Titanic or something, but I, I do want to live in a world di- where the team that made Tangerine on like an iPhone uh, gets to have their own category. I really do appreciate that. And I like that idea. Right. Well, I mean, I think maybe that might be useful and to say, hey, let all these big multi-million dollar, you know, hundred million dollar games fight it out and then let game. I mean, I guess that's what the independent <laughs> category kind of is, but I don't know. Christian, what do you think? I mean, I've spoken at length about the game awards before. I think to me, the, the, the jump out thing on this list, um, is favorite moment of 2017. And it's just things that happened at last year's game awards. (laughs) Oh my God. I hadn't even looked at this yet. Oh my God. (laughs) So it's like you win an award for winning an award last year. Like I, I really like, I really like Jeff. I really like, at the times I've hung out with him and talked with him and we've laughed. He's been and- on the show. He's been very kind to be here on the show. We, he's a yes. friend of the show. He's a yes. friend of the show. And, and and he he puts video games in a spotlight that a lot of other people can't do anymore. A story we'll get to in a moment, I think. Um, and he's made this a premier event where it's, it's about the debuts. And I think that these awards are... Uh, as you and Brock mentioned, Jeff, a, a kind of a vestige of holding on to of like, we want to be this serious thing and mimic the Oscars in some way. And I almost think and they've had they've had some missteps before with like the Schick Razor uh, mascot and stuff like that. But I think if they embraced a more fun route and not sell out everything sponsored route, but a more fun, we're here to celebrate all things gaming. This is going to be a party. We're going to have a great time. Um and lean into some of those those industry connections and the reporting that Jeff has done over the years and make it like a a um a really cool like those the Half Life two those retrospectives he did where like those uh, virtual magazines and stuff that yeah, that Jeff yeah. put together they did some of that and they I did some of that year, yeah yes they did and that could win one of the favorite moments of 2017 but I think if it was <laughs> more that. Like imagine, um, I, I picture it leaning more like the ESPYs and less <laughs> like the Oscars where the ESPYs, they're the ESPYs, right? They're not, it's not MTV movie awards amount of silliness, but it's, uh, some silly categories or some things that are a little outrageous, but also they really take moments to celebrate icons of sport and they do so in a heartfelt way. And while the ESPYs, I don't think anyone, any athlete is like, yes, I got my ESPY. I did. Like, you know, they're not vying for an ESPY the way college football players vice for a Heisman or professional players want to win an MVP. But it's an award show that walks that balance really well. And, and I don't think the Game is, Awards has found it. Th- what this list has is that, like, there's all this stuff that, that acknowledges last year's thing. And the thing that you're bringing up, they actually did do in sort of that, uh, like, five-minute documentary about the history of, like, Westwood Studios and Command and Conquer and stuff, which was really cool. Uh, but also, like, I'm trying to think back as to the things that I remember each year of this. And, like, my number one, like, Game Awards memory of all time is, like, 2010 when they did a teaser trailer for Del Toro's game, Insane, that was supposed to be published by Volition. And it's just, like, a screw going through the logo that says Insane. And then nothing ever came from that game because it definitely just lived as a pitch in a in a in a word document somewhere, and that was the end of it. But like yeah. in my in my memory, that's important and cool. And like 
if you're going to put up the events of this, like just go ahead and acknowledge that like the trailers are what this event show exists for. And the more right. categories we have, the more trailers we get to see ostensibly. Maybe that's okay. You're so right. I mean, honestly, that's really, it, it is a trailer show with some awards to pad it out. <laughs> really, that's what it is. But, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to be super cynical about it. I, I'd love to get, you know, just in the game of the year category, we don't, or whatever category you want. What do you guys think? Do you think it's a good representation of the year? I mean, Christian, you must be thrilled that Celeste made, you know, the top, what, six here for game of the year. I think that's that's pretty big accomplishment for that small game. I, I really like Celeste. The fact that it was nominated or any game that I love is nominated or not nominated for the game awards means nothing to me. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I, I, I can't pry. I can't pry any positive words about this out of anybody. Christian, that was that's fine. so dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have my list of games that I love and I love a lot of these games, but it's not, oh, here's, here's what I'll say, Jeff. Hopefully some of these games getting this recognition in any of these categories will encourage someone who is otherwise not going to check it out to check it out and if hopefully love it as much as I did. That's, that's what's great about this is that it can hopefully expose the game to a new audience. So I love seeing all of the games that I love being listed here. So hopefully other people will check them out and have the similar experience that I had with them and, and fall in love with these games. Cool. All right. Uh, oh, moving on. Christian, what is one, one second right before we leave that? Oh, sure. I just love to, and I promise I, I care much less about everything else we talk about tonight. Christian had an excellent point, which is that like, maybe this should acknowledge actual journalism that's occurred in the year and some mm. of the things like that. And like, I really, if there was a category up here that had like, you know, the people that spent like a year doing an oral history of a game or say the journalist that broke the Riot Games story that has become the overarching like big story of the games industry in the last couple of months and continues forward. Like that would seem like a thing that somebody that is a games journalist would want to acknowledge in the show that they put together. And uh, I know that beyond that, uh, all the <laughs> all the nominations would have to be like, Here's to Greg for his piece about uh, when the streamer was racist. Uh, and then there'd just be a whole <laughs> bunch of those, uh, which yeah. might be uh, less serving to the games community. But like that, that does seem like something that belongs here. I think that's a great point. I think it's a great point. And, uh, it, it, you know, if maybe it, it, Jeff kind of felt the responsibility to use the awards to spotlight things. I mean, because when Red Dead Redemption 2 inevitably wins this and, you know, I, I kind of feel like, Anybody that's nominated for content creator of the year who isn't named Ninja is just like, <laughs> sorry, guys, sorry, gals. It's not, you know, it's not your year. Uh, but more power to him. I, I it tends to be a fairly interesting uh, ceremony that is has some cool reveals. So, you know, it's fine. All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Uh, E3 is dead. Long live E3. Sony officially announced that it is not going to be involved in any in E3 in any form or fashion. They said they are not going to have a sideshow or kind of do a you know proxy event. They're not going to do a press conference of any kind. They're not going to be on the show floor, nor are they going to be in proximity to the event a la EA or Microsoft. This is the first time in 24 years. And Jeff, I was next to you when, when we found this out. I think it was five minutes after Sony announced this, I got an email from E3 that was like, <laughs> best E3 ever coming yeah. up, yeah. which they got that press release out quick. I mean, this this was a, 
I think we all kind of saw E3's importance on a downward trend, but this still felt like a, you know, a head spinning moment of like, oh, dang, they did it. You guys are are much better connected than me, but like, am I wrong here? Was there like a rumor of this a few months ago? I hadn't heard any rumors uh, that Sony was pulling out. Maybe I just missed it, but uh, I hadn't heard that specifically. Uh, I knew, I mean, we've seen, as Christian pointed out, the, the slow death march of E3 as all these companies, you know, announced that they're not doing the show and that they're, you know, Microsoft did a show right next door. EA for two years now has done a show in Hollywood instead of downtown Los Angeles. But I think this is a completely different flavor of abandonment. (laughs) This is, this is not, Hey, we acknowledge that E3 is still happening. We're just not going to be part of the official show, but it's still a big week and we're still going to, you know, Nintendo. Yeah, we're not going to have a press traditional press conference, but we're still going to have a big Nintendo direct. And this is like, we're ghosting. <laughs> this is, I mean, we, it remains to be seen exactly what they do, but their messaging around this is we're not doing anything. This week is dead to us. <laughs> this like, we're not making any kind of big deal about June <laughs> in any way. And that to me feels like a completely different kind of thing. And as Give Christian also Sony mentioned, morning to Devolver Digital, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, a, a lot of people have uh, made a lot of guesses as to what this is about. I think as we see more and more companies you know, want to disintermediate their message. They want to be the owners of their messaging. And uh, Nintendo has done a very, very good job of, we don't need press conferences. We literally would just put a video out because we got 47 new Smash Brothers things to tell you. Uh, It doesn't have to be a comprehensive press conference. We just want to tell you about this one particular, we have an Octopath Traveler thing. We just want to mention it. So we'll schedule a thing on Tuesday and you show up. You don't have to show up. It's a well, it's an online situation. It's it's completely bypassing any kind of you know news media or person to to uh, propagate the message. You just talk directly to your audience, and I think that's what we're going to see. There's no need for E3, and it's not millions of dollars to have the people that are going to spread your message stand uncomfortably in a makeshift church and be like, "What?" Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. This is awful. This like I do spread- feel a little a little guilty about like did I contribute killed, to the Jeff killed E3? Yeah. <laughs> did I contribute to the death of E3? I mean, all of us I'm sure Sony like they spent a fortune on that crazy event and then somebody in a meeting afterwards went, "Why are we even doing this, guys? We just pissed a bunch of people off and they were sad. Why even do it?" And I think that that may, you know, maybe the last domino or straw or whatever well, the metaphor is. When when you put on an event and for a part for a time, it was part of it, right? And it would help games get buzz is the presentation and the discussion. But I think over the years, you've seen more people talk about the event and the presentation and the spectacle than necessarily what was presented. And I think last year's Sony press conference was a great example of that. And Ubisoft certainly struggled with that in years past too, where it was like, what was their gamer dude, uh, Mr. Extreme or whatever? No, you're right. Everybody someone. puts out like theater reviews. You know, yeah, everybody's yeah. a critic of their theatrical presentation rather than, you know, the substance of what's even going on or, and maybe that's fine. Like it's a big spectacle and so be it. But I mean, I guess maybe the the more pertinent question that we should ask instead of why is what now? I mean, Brock, do you think that 
it's a loss for the industry not to have uh, – if this indeed means that there won't be a big week in early summer that all the games get announced for the next couple of years and it turns into something more like what the uh, gadget industry is where each company has their own thing at some weird time during the year and that company gets all the – you know, Samsung has an event and they announce all their things for the year and Apple has an event. It's you know, months apart. Is that better, do you think, or do we lose something? Uh, I kind of like this where, like, everyone just uh, sort of secedes E3 to Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> I think it was, it was two years ago was it the one where uh, they started having us have, like, the light-up bracelets at the event, and then those would change colors right. throughout the event. But even Microsoft wasn't there. They, they were adjacent. They had their own theater, and, and like, they weren't even on the E3 floor. Right, they were just sort of – and then like yeah, you know, we're, other people that had like uh, like Ubisoft has their own thing and so on and so forth. And like this year covering it, I was like, oh, I have a spreadsheet of when everyone goes up. It's not like these three clean mornings anymore. And right. I joked about it before, but like Devolver Digital and like Adult Swim Games, like they do the most interesting presentations and they can do those from anywhere. And like you mentioned, Nintendo could just take over everybody's switch in the world at the same time and broadcast, <laughs> like check it out. Right. It's, it's negative Kirby, NECA Kirby, get, yeah. get hype. Uh, <laughs> Wait, are those, are those real announcements, Brock? Hold on. Do we get some exclusives? <laughs> exclusives. <laughs> gotta get those exclusives. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like it. And I like the idea of everyone throw your own thing because why not? And uh, if if this eventually becomes just like a a completely indie event, that would be more interesting. I'm, but like also they they made their bed to sleep in here when they were just like, oh, what if we just charged normal people an outrageous amount of money to come in and be on the floor, and then the floor became a nightmare hellscape for everybody else. Uh, <laughs> the last couple of years have been unpleasant at best. Like you guys are all there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean. There's a part of me that would mourn the loss of, you know, video game Christmas week, uh, which is E3 just having it all concentrated and it all building up to this cool crescendo and the press conferences back to back and who won E3 and all that stuff. But it doesn't really serve anybody. It doesn't really help to go, did Microsoft beat Sony for E3? If you have Microsoft announcing stuff in May and Sony announcing stuff in August – then nobody's going, who had the better press conference? It's just, oh, the products. Let's talk about them. But I um, need maybe the I'm... corporations to fight. My identity <laughs> depends on it. You guys. And I did. I, I am of that toxic background. The last time I saw Jeff, I believe I saw you when we were doing uh, the Uncharted uh, test session in like a, a thing that was made up to look like the jungle. Yes. Uh, yes. And that was literally the first time I've ever held a PlayStation controller because I've been an Xbox ride or die guy my entire life. Uh, and so like the person that was monitoring me doing my 30 minute test session just saw me kept throwing my main character against a wall that I couldn't climb <laughs> and dying repeatedly. And at like the 20 minute mark out of the 30 minutes I was given, I was like, I've seen the game and I am finished here. Have a wonderful day. And they're like, you get more time and you can interview people. I was like, I'm good. I'm good here. Thank you, Sony. Here's a a positive take on this, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that you and I have talked about a lot on this show, that while it would be a shame to see Video Game Week go away, and I think Sony's calendars now go like March, April, May, July. uh, (laughs) You know, June is dead. 
But hopefully this means announcing things when they're ready and not needing to put together things for E3. Because I I feel like Sony's E3 this year might be the exact same as it was last year, just minus God of War. Because I don't know when those games are coming out (laughs) that they showed at that press conference last year, right? Like Ghosts, Last of Us 2, and Death Stranding. Yeah. Uh, but so maybe we'll get more of the Bethesda Fallout 4 model and things. They'll have a big press conference when they're ready to talk about something, when they have something to show and not rushing out something that lets people look at puddles six months later when the game comes <laughs> oh out. My God. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, I also think that there may be something to what Nintendo is starting to do also where you literally don't, you 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 announce and show and get hype for one thing like you don't have to have this wall-to-wall showing and i guess that works better for platinum uh platform holders to say oh look all this stuff that's coming out on your platform get in, get you know by this platform but maybe it's cool to just have a thing about one game you know have a have a thing and then a couple of weeks later have a thing about another game i don't know maybe that's a more digestible way to create excitement for your games um i don't know it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy moment that i think we all saw coming at some point but to have it actually arrive feels uh feels still a little shocking even if it, if it was obvious it's going to happen microsoft and nintendo soaked their arm in the bathtub before taking off their band-aid sony was just like rip they just yeah. i mean there was no just, we're done. This sucks. I hate well, you. Throw a match. I've also seen a lot of speculation online, and I think several people tweeted me asking me if if they thought or if I thought that uh, this was just because Sony didn't have anything to announce for the year. And I, I really don't think that's what it is. I think this is a bigger decision than just we'll skip it this time. It feels like uh, it is it's a it's really is a paradigm shift for how we're going to market our games from now on. And I would suspect that Sony has plenty of things that they could fill an E3 conference with. Uh, they're a very big company with a lot of first parties and a lot of very big games still still on the horizon. So I, I don't think that's what it is at all. Uh, and I don't think this is the kind of thing where Sony next year goes, we're back to E3 because we have the PS5 to talk about. I think this is the kind of thing where we're going to have a PS5 event and we all get weird Apple-like yeah. invitations that have you know cryptic like Apple does, you know, we're having a thing in September. It has bubbles on it. That could only mean one thing. You know, it's like, that's what it, yeah. I think that's what it's going to turn into. I think it could have started as that, or someone was like, hey, what are we going to show at E3 this year? And then someone was like, what if we don't do E3 this year? And everybody laughed. They're like, oh, okay, Sarah. <laughs> Wait a minute. What Sarah's if we got don't a point? Do yeah. And then they didn't do it. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I, for one, I don't think this year's E3 will be, you know, this will be no E3 this year or anything like that. I think E3 will still be worth covering and will be a big deal. But maybe next year, maybe next year, everybody will be like, well, we're not doing it. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, okay, my story of the week is a rumor. But I think juicy enough and coming from a source respectable enough that it deserves discussion. And it makes me very curious about what you guys think as far as what it means. Uh, we have a rumor coming from Therat, which is um, a very reputable Microsoft covering uh, industry, uh, tech industry site. And uh, they have been right about things in the past. They are reporting that a new SKU for the Xbox One 
will cost $100 less than the current $299 base price. So $199. And it will be an Xbox One without a disk drive. So no disk for the Xbox One. This seems to line up with where Microsoft has been heading with regards to Game Pass being their, you know, front and center idea of, hey, buy your games digitally, subscribe to our service, download stuff. It's always available to you. It's the Netflix of video games. And with the idea of this next version of the Xbox, Scarlet, codenamed Scarlet, that will be basically a uh, a dummy box, a, a small little box that like a Roku or something or similar. Or a version of it will be that. Microsoft right. there will still be saying, a- we're doing the other one too. Correct. Yeah. But it, this all seems to be of a trend, right? Uh, some details before I throw it to you guys. There will ev- evidently be a program that allows you to uh, get credit for games you own on disc and that you will be able to go into a retailer calling it disc to digital, where you'll be able to go into a retailer, <laughs> hand them your physical copy, and they will give you a download code that lets you download it digitally. So if you want to have this, you want to replace your Xbox One with a disc drive, with one without a disc drive, they will all the games that you have on disc, they will still allow you to own, uh, which seems like a cumbersome but necessary step. Um, so... This means that uh, they're saying it's coming in 2019. Uh, This means that whatever Xbox Scarlet is probably won't come until 2020, but we already suspected that. Brock, what do you think? Discless? Is this the future? Is this this half step worthwhile in order to kind of drive down the the entry-level price of the Xbox One? I would be so shocked about this if I hadn't bought uh, four years' worth of Mac products that don't have a disk drive. (laughs) <laughs> right uh yeah. and and this is what they want to do they want you to subscribe to the membership model that's clearly where the money is going forward and it's a much better deal for consumers like signing up for the xbox games pass especially like if you're the sort of person that like i wasn't this person until a year or so ago when i got a playstation 4 and like was like oh crap i need a whole catalog of games on a sign up for their subscription service Right now, doing that sort of thing, especially if you're in a two or three system household or your PC and you want a console, that's a great way to have access to a bunch of stuff that you want anyway without having to buy it at full price. And like Netflix, sometimes some of those things are going to disappear and you'll be like, ah, darn it. But uh, the other side of that is that you already have Xbox Live Gold and those things come up on deals for like $4, $3 anyway. The number of things that I, I owned on physical like CDs and sold back to GameStop and have recently repurchased via like the Xbox game store for like three or four dollars is like nearly every game I ever played on an Xbox console. <laughs> so like right. this this seems like a like I I don't think I've put a disc into my Xbox One X since I purchased it like six months ago. So this doesn't seem like a leap and it sounds like a pretty good idea and I kind of wish I'd waited for this. Yeah. My uh, my Blu-ray of um, Mission Impossible 5, I think, is still in my Xbox because I watched it like three months ago before the movie came out. And there's been no reason for me to take the disc out because I don't use discs anymore. So, yeah. Uh, Christian, I – there is one reading of this that, that says it, it really uh, – 
reinforces, supports, and confirms all the things you've been saying. I prefer a different reading, which is that it refutes what you've been saying because it means it's pushing, it's a stopgap to what you think is the actual future. And if they need to do this as a stopgap, it means the actual console, Scarlet, is farther off than we think, right? I don't know. I think they see money in it. Uh, I think they're not looking to rush Scarlet to market per se. I think these boxes, I still believe that these discless Xbox Ones could be turned into Scarlet's, the streaming version of Scarlet's. I think Mm. that's still a very real possibility. But I think Brock's point was a great one. I mean, my most powerful gaming machine, and I would probably argue yours too, Jeff, like doesn't have a disk drive. My gaming PC, I did not put a disk drive in it when I built it. Um, Mine has one. Oh, lame. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's edit that out. Um, so Jess also <laughs> doesn't have one. Um, so I understand the move. Yeah, my Apple TV doesn't have a disk drive in it. You know, um, I, I, the thing that makes me sad about it is that as an honest to God, several year, probably too long, I mean, 10 years, I don't know, Gamefly member, subscriber. Oh, my and, God, and really? That, that's that, that, that's value that's why i play a lot of my games i mean it takes work i have to manage my queue but things like like i imagine not not a lot of people gamefly is not huge right like people use it and like it but it's not the biggest company in the world um but i think things like that i hope they do work out some form of game sharing and steam has experimented with it microsoft i think on xbox in other countries experimented with it oh and going back to our prior conversation the only thing that makes me sad about sony pulling out of e3 is sony had some of the best e3 moments the playstation uh price announcement the sick burn to microsoft on how you share games on playstation 4 yes. um some unintentional burns of get a second job for the playstation 3 anyway i didn't need to go backwards um but that that aspect of it does make me sad i know like steam you can family share with like 10 accounts wink wink families um but i do still think there's value in loaning someone a game i have Mega Man 11 on a cart and i brought it in to work and said hey play it take it on the plane you know take it bring it on your switch and you play it and i hope that are all digital future find some solution there. But otherwise I'm totally on board. I just, I, I would like to figure out digital rights sharing, you know, that easy, <laughs> that easy problem of digital rights sharing. Yeah. I mean, it murders stuff like Gamefly. I mean, Gamefly is a sponsor of our show. So that take, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but it's, it feels like that's uh that's a rough, rough go for them. And also lots of brick and mortar. You know, we, we've been talking about this for, easily 10 years about the death of brick and mortar with regard to video game. But um, I wonder what places like, you know, GameStop are, are thinking with, with this stuff coming down the pike and they gotta be, uh, they gotta be worried. I think. Yeah. There's no way that they're part of that disc to digital program. It's gotta be Microsoft. <laughs> Maybe stories, they are. Right. <laughs> Maybe like, yeah. Yeah. Guys, you'll still could be in business. They'll let come people come in and give them your old games <laughs> and you'll just give them this code and then you can resell those games. It'll be great. No way. No way. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I got to take a second and thank, uh, speaking of sponsors, thank our first sponsor, Squarespace. You've heard me talk about Squarespace because I love it. I've been talking about Squarespace my entire podcasting career. They have supported me and my shows for forever. And I'm so grateful, Most, mostly because I genuinely love their service. I use it. I recommend it to friends and family. What is it? Uh, Squarespace is the way to create a website. 
And a lot of people uh, are intimidated by that. You should not be. Squarespace is so easy to use. You can create, you can turn a, a cool idea you have into a new website. You can showcase your work. You can blog or publish content. You can even sell products and services so easily using Squarespace because all of it is what you see is what you get. Drag and drop. The tools are simple and intuitive and easy to use. You don't have to have any kind of programming experience. You don't even have to have any design experience because you start with beautiful templates that they provide and then you make them your own. So that doesn't look like every other website. So simply, so easily just moving stuff around, getting it how you look. Well, like they have built-in search engine optimization. They have analytics to help you grow in real time, free and secure hosting. And there's never anything to upgrade or patch. It's all handled for you in the background. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. This is just the way to do it. It's the easiest, best way to do it. Make it yourself. You don't have to pay someone. It's very expensive to pay someone to design a website. You can make it yourself. In fact, you can make a website on Squarespace so simply and easily without even putting a credit card in. You just use the tools, get it to how you like it, and then you pay. And at that point, you go, well, at the beginning, you go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. You get your free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, you use the offer code Jeff sent me, J E F F S E N T M E, and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Let them know that you heard about it here. Let them know it's been a good idea to support DLC. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, promo code Jeff sent me. Time to talk about the games we have been playing, and oh my goodness, are there a lot. Uh, this is going to be a fun segment. To Let's jump right in with Brock. I, I want to talk about Fallout 76. Fallout 76, one of the big games released this week. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Brock, man. Brock's not even mad. Brock, fine. <laughs> Brock, fine. <laughs> Well, this seems like one of those games that people either have embraced and totally love and love it for its faults, not even despite its faults, kind of enjoy its faults in a weird way, or they hate it and still are forcing themselves to play it for some reason. (laughs) That's a lot of people I've read uh, that are just forcing themselves to continue playing it, even though they complain the entire time. What is your take on Fallout 76? (laughs) I was kind of hoping... (laughs) to put this on the back burner for like two weeks, come back after Thanksgiving. But then you invited me to come do your very popular show. And I was like, well, I can't not do it this week. Uh, So I fired it up and here is the impression that I have. And like, my God, I love Fallout so much. And there is also still so much Fallout I need to play in other places. (laughs) So what I like about Fallout 76 is that I went from character creation screen to like full on being in the game, doing raids with people in about 20 minutes. It's, it's the fastest possible fallout that has ever existed. And it's because there's no NPCs, there's no dialogue. There's nothing really to do besides get involved in this. The other side of this is that like, take everything I have to say with a grain of salt, because I don't like borderlands borderlands never clicked with me. I, I don't like that kind of online co-op thing, but the more of this I play, the more I like it hmm. and the more that I wish that I could just have a private server where I could just do my thing. Uh, you just want I a, love, like I love some it. sort of single player fallout game with 
out other people and maybe more story and NPCs? Is that that's what you're saying? They'll never make that. That game will never exist. <laughs> what, what what I would actually like is this game um, where instead of three random people, just assign me like three bots. Do it uh, Left for Dead style where some of them help and some of them are just just awfully programmed and they just cannot help me at all. And it's funny how bad they are. But like, give me the space because I love this world. I love the, uh, I love a fallout that takes place in a world that isn't just gray. And like, there is some life to this. And uh, actually, uh, if you are a big fallout fan, uh, please check out the gigantic mod Cascadia, uh, which is in progress right now and and is sort of uh, coming out very soon. Uh, It's set in the Pacific Northwest in like the Seattle area. And it's sort of like based around this like, snow sort of thing but also it was also based on an idea that they've been working on for a couple of years Hmm. uh about like a world that is slowly like coming back to life and i was like oh i i kind of want that more than this uh it's fine and 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 this is a a sentiment i've seen replicated elsewhere it's not my original idea uh mike drucker and a million other people have done better than me but this game uh feels like it is a game made in in the post apocalypse. It feels like it is held together with duct tape and like dead batteries and like old war money. Like it's just all strapped together. And I was like, here's this thing. And there is something about that that is genuinely, despite it being a billion dollar AAA title, kind of scrappy. And that's what keeps bringing me back to it. I was like, I think that this is the most broken game I've played in many years, but. <laughs> Uh, everyone else is stuck in it too, uh, which I kind of <laughs> like. It's like we're we're all masochists here, uh, and and like let's just see, can we get to the heart of Mordor or to where the programming just breaks down? Uh, it is it is an ostensibly bad game that I keep having very fun experiences within, and that has challenged my evaluation of it because I keep being like I I'll, I'll like be like ah, I hated all that, and then I'll like tell my wife about like this ridiculous thing that happened. And like the first person I met in this world, their, their call sign was Doncast 79 or something like very close to that. And I was just like, Oh good. It's me and Doncast 79 out here. And then I immediately got killed. And the first thing that happens when you get killed is that you can like cry out for help. And you have like 30 seconds for somebody to come. And the only person in the area was Doncast 79. Of course, Doncast 79 didn't help me. And I was like, what a Doncast 79 move for you to make. It's classic Doncast uh, is what it is. Classic Doncast cla- 79. Classic Doncast move right there. And I was like, okay, so that's what kind of fallout this will be. Uh, because I just, I, I don't do multiplayer. I don't do that stuff with people. Like, I, I just, I hate it. But uh, I kind of like that there's this area of effect uh, multiplayer challenge here where it's like, the, the very first thing I fell into was like, oh, you're in a town and like there's these farm bots and they're on the fritz and you've got to kill three of them in under 30 minutes. And if anybody else is in your area, they should help you kill them or whatever. They get points for that. I was level one. Everyone else was level nine. They just left me alone there and I died a bunch. I can see where it's supposed to work. Uh, it doesn't work for me and I don't like it or enjoy it, but I keep coming back. And here is the thing that I think that the two of you are probably going to agree with me on. Uh, it is very difficult to be a man in your thirties playing an always online multiplayer video game that does not have the ability to pause. Not just because (laughs) like you, I, I can't even read something without something attacking me and killing me. But also if I just like uh, tell my character to play the banjo and walk away to like uh, grab a new beer, 
by the time I come back, my character has dehydrated and died. <laughs> like there's there's too many ticking clocks and spinning plates. And I'm just like, oh, just let me hit the pause button right. and have a life for a second. <laughs> my cat has to go to the vet. I'm sorry. Uh, it's the wrong week for me to play Fallout. Man, a brilliant summation of, of, of the game. I, uh, I, I don't even want to add anything to that, but, um, but I will. The, the, the idea that, that somehow Bethesda studios is this like massively successful billion dollar company. Maybe, I don't know, hundred millions of dollars uh, in revenue and yet somehow straddles the line and, and, pulls off this feeling of like, Hey, when we release jank, it's charming. I don't know how they do it, but they've done it over and over and over again. And people somehow embrace this game series and their productions jank when, you know, you have numerous other games that get flamed and torched. And I guess there's a fair amount of flaming and torching with this products. I won't say there isn't, but somehow, uh, the fans will just find it charming. I think that's there's some there's some magic there that they they possess that nobody else seems to. And also, Th- this actually ties back into the thing that we were talking about earlier, which is that like it, this year I was covering the E3 streams for everything uh, for Rock Paper Shotgun, and I had to cover it all day every day. My wife has never watched E3 before, and I had to explain why people like Todd Howard who can't speak to humans uh, were going up on the stage and it was like, here's fireworks and everyone was cheering. And then like the most milk toast white dude you've ever seen was like, hi, I like things. And then everyone was like, good. And then it was like, okay, bye. Uh, and like, there's that. And then I had to like, uh, she, she loves fallout three, but I had to show her like, Hey, did you know that Bethesda sent us all a letter ahead of this saying, you guys, this game, it's going to be bad. <laughs> Such bad game. So much bad in this game. We did not. They're bugs. Yeah. So much bug. Uh, you you go out, you see, you come back and tell us. <laughs> it's not great. It's fine. That's what we ship. Good night. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Just, we should definitely we, not be releasing this. We get to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be unconscionable for us to charge money for this. <laughs> anyway, here's a $99 edition where you get a different hat. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally true. Uh, and, it, you know, and it's it's a crazy thing how many people – I just read an article. I think it was on Polygon. Uh, somebody was like, uh, this game is not fun. I don't enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to keep playing it for hundreds of hours. Uh, it's just – it's this strange thing of people going, I see there's potential in it. Everything I'm doing in it is not particularly good. Uh, the game is broken in, in a myriad ways. Uh, things are frustrating, but this is where we are with video games in, in a sense where these games come out and, and they have live spans and this is just an early in the lifespan game. Uh, and maybe it will, you know, in the same way that elder scrolls online came out to pan pan reviews, you know, people panning it and uh, talking about how uh, incomplete it seemed when it was released. Now it's this, you know, four or five years later, it's this very robust community with, a you know, tons of expansions and lots of content. It feels like a very cool game that a lot of people love. That's where video that, games that's are. That's what I was going to ask. Don't you and Christian have games that you love that are like 
entirely broken and not even ones that got patched or better later just like things that like are ostensibly bad games and then you love them and you're like well okay i can't defend this elsewhere yeah i guess so i i i struggle to think of any but i guess i guess i do i i kind of made a contract with myself just in the last month that I said, I'm really just not, there are so many excellent experiences that are so big and deep. And I tend to leave them to go play the new hotness, mostly because I do the show and, and want to have experience with them. But I, I decided that I was going to follow my joy more, uh, more strictly than I have in the past. And I have been very happy. I I loaded up Fallout 76 and uh, the first thing that happened, I got it on a PC. The first thing that happened was uh, it is a game that does not support ultra wide monitors, which people listen to the show know I just got an ultra wide monitor. And really from now on, every review of a PC game, I'm going to mention whether it supports ultra wide or not because it changed my life. I can't play this game in my uh, pool. I have a very <laughs> large swimming pool. Uh, it has an infinity line, yeah. and I can see Los Angeles burning uh, on the other side of it. But, like, Brock, you if I can't it. see... You can, there are four moments that define Jeff Kanata. The birth of his two children, <laughs> him getting married, and then above all of those is him getting an ultra-wide monitor. There's four <laughs> well, I, I recognize how obnoxious it sounds, but... <laughs> It's a new game in 2018 that doesn't support ultrawide. It's it's really weird. And it's not that it just has bars on either side. That would be fine. It's like broken. It, it's offset all the way to the left of the screen. <laughs> and even when you select full screen mode, it like leaves up whatever was on your desktop on the right. So it is bonkers and weird. Like no other game, even games that don't support ultrawide don't do that. So I, it was distracting and weird and frustrating. And I got in, I wasn't really having much fun. And I went, you know what? I'm just going to set this aside. Maybe this game in a few months after some patches will be really have a cool community. Maybe it'll figure out what it wants to be and I can come back to it, but I'm just going to go play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Cause that's what I want to finish. And that's what I'm in love with. And that's what I'm having the most best time with. I'm just going to wait. So I have a very uh, uninformed, opinion about that based on very short amount of time with the game but boy have i read a lot of people that are just like i'm gonna stick with it even though it is not fun and not it is hard and i don't know kind of why we do that to ourselves as a as a hobby i think a lot of people do that where it's like i i guess i have to play this now because it's a fallout game i don't know well i would we have we have built our own goddamn nightmare cage here uh which uh the only time i've stepped back from this in the last year was when uh the new david cage came out and everyone was like hey if you buy this you are actively funding a guy attacking journalists to prevent abuse stories being covered uh and i was like that 60 dollars is not worth it for the three to five days that this game is going to be uh, something you can participate in in games Twitter. Yeah. And like, I, I took that half to heart. And then like seven days later, when I did not see a single tweet about the game, I was like, oh God, it's true. Like our lifespan for like talking about these things, like Fallout 76, maybe because it is, as we identified earlier in the game award segment, an ongoing game, uh, <laughs> which is a different weird category to put games in. Like, it's okay if this game doesn't work right now. It's ongoing. In three years, come give it a review score. 
right. it is weird the number of games now that like if you don't get them at the moment of release you'll never talk about them or play them <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I will say that the game is gorgeous. I think it's it's proof that a Fallout game can look great on modern systems. Like, it, it, they really did a lot of work with the lighting systems in that engine. And it's really pretty. As you mentioned, it's a, a, a version of Fallout that isn't just browns and greens and grays. It's still a lot of that. But it also feels a little more vibrant than the last couple of uh, Fallout games. Uh, it's, did you did you think a little bit that they looked at uh, The Witcher Three and were like, we should do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should add a little, I don't know, color and lighting to our game. That's pretty cool. You can do that and have a gritty, dark game. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know. There's, I guess, some some positives. It just, I wasn't having fun. Uh, very, and I was super distracted. And I heard that there would be a patch where it would support support Ultra Ride coming. So I'm like, I'm just gonna wait. I'm just gonna wait. And I'm, I'm not going to feel embarrassed about saying, I'm just going to wait a little while. I know some people really love it. Uh, and it sounds like you're actually are enjoying it in a perverse way yourself. So there's something there. But the, every major like game site right now, like Polygon and Kotaku and stuff, should have a reviewer whose only job is to start playing these games six months after release, when all the patches are there, when some new DLC is in there, and just be like, Oh hey, what's the actual like long term version of this game looking like? Right. Yeah. No. It's somewhere somewhere there's a a review of Fallout or Fallout of uh, Fortnite where people are like, man, this uh, wave shooter is uh, it's gonna no legs on this thing. Nobody's gonna play this. You know. So <laughs> I thought I came here to build a house. What's happening? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we we talked about that for a while, and you said you 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 would even uh, have things that you were more excited to talk about. So what else is on your playlist? Oh, uh, so uh, two weeks ago, I knocked out uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, the brand new uh, 2018 game, which uh, it has been a while since, uh, even though I review a lot of games, my reviews almost always come out like a week later than everyone else's because I'm not at the biggest site. And also right now, the video games world like you get your review codes uh, like the night before it comes out at paste. We got red dead uh, to like 48 hours before the embargo was up and it released publicly. Mm. And uh, Garrett from our site did the only thing he could do with that, which was to write a review of the different horse hairstyles you could pick for your starting horse. <laughs> and he goddamn committed to it. It's like a, a 2000 word piece with uh, like in linking and like images and stuff. It's like, okay, so you did it. You did the most best middle finger thing that you could do to rockstar <laughs> on this thing. So I, I got called Cthulhu. I had about like a week to like uh, check it out before embargo was up, but this is the first time in a while that my embargo has been up at the same time as everybody else. So I didn't know anyone else that was reviewing it. I was sort of like, I think I like this. And it turns out I liked it a lot more than other people, which is a weird place to be in where you're like big thumbs up in the air. And everyone else is like, this is garbage to be burned and forgotten. Uh, and uh, for like a day or two, I sat around and I was like, am I wrong? Am I, am I bad at video game thought? Do I not do this right? Uh, and, and I've, I've come back around and I was like, no, 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 I'm right. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is a really good adaptation of a bunch of racist nonsense from an old dead guy. Uh, and it does the best that it can with that stuff. 
uh, and it makes a really interesting, compelling game out of it that changes what kind of game it is. And it adapts a board game very well uh, with all of its same rules, and you always understand what's happening and it's sort of streamlined. And on top of it, it, it brings this mythos together in an interesting and fun way. Uh, and at the end of the day, like, maybe I just have so many friends that are too deep in, like, the I write, like, Lovecraft fan fiction world. They're like, these are my problems with it. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. It wasn't racist enough. I guess <laughs> that is a problem. I enjoyed it. It's a weird, it's a weird nightmare thing. And the, the best and most interesting part about it is that it is actually uh, much like Arkham Asylum realizing, oh, Batman is the detective and he should solve a mystery. Uh, this sets you out over the course of solving a mystery. But the more information you gain, the more insane you become because it opens up your mind to the terrible truths of the universe. Uh, so you have to sort of figure out like how, like there's an amount of the mystery you need to solve to solve the mystery. But if you learn too much, you become a monster and travel to another dimension and everyone on earth dies. So like, it's a, it's a weird balancing act that you don't really know what the game is until it's too late. And then you're trying to like really spin the plates and figure out where to go there. And I was just like, this is cool. And there are little asides throughout that are based on other Lovecraft stories and, and sort of my summary of it was like, it takes some of the lesser Lovecraft stories and makes them basically mini bosses in a game that doesn't have mini bosses. Mm. Uh, Cause it's mostly like point and click adventure. And I was like, this is, it's wild. It's out of control. I have no idea who put this together and decided like chapter by chapter, these are the nine different games that exist here. And it, it cuts up the play in an interesting way. Anyway, on top of that, I just love playing Red Faction right now. Uh, Red Faction, uh, the remastered edition, uh, is so much fun, and I pull it up constantly every day, all of the time. I, and you should, too, if you haven't played it. It's a game that I adore. It's it's one of those ones that I can't believe got a remaster because I it didn't. never... You got a remaster. I understand. Yeah, come on, get it right. Uh, but uh, <laughs> thank you, Christian, for sticking to your <laughs> I I adored that game when it came out. I don't think it got enough attention when it when it came out, and and uh, it's a truly uh, delightful experience to just smash things just with a hammer, just smash them, blow them up, and how it is. The... It is also a game about like uh, being uh, overrun by uh, an imperialist government, and you're like, no you don't control us and you control us from a distance and we have to fight back. And I was playing it over 4th of July weekend. And one morning I woke up, I was like, it, somebody should make a game that echoes uh, America's independence, sort of like some sort of thing where we like shake off the shackles of something. And I realized, Oh, for the last week I've been playing this game. That is that, but on Mars, <laughs> right? I, I am the dumbest man who has ever lived and I should die. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's right there. I love it so much. <laughs> I also, you know, I downloaded this week uh, because I think it was free on PlayStation Network. It was a p- free download game. I downloaded Bulletstorm Remastered, which has its own weird remastered name that I can't remember. Like, I don't know, White Knuckle Edition or something stupid. Um, and Bulletstorm was another game that at the time I reviewed. No, 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 no. Keep guessing. Keep uh, guessing. Bulletstorm, uh, uh, crapping bullets. It could uh, be like fully cocked or something. Yeah, like yeah. Full of holes <laughs> edition or something. I don't know. Um, it uh, It's a game that I, despite myself, I really enjoyed when it came out because the, the 
It's so good. The tenor of it is not something that I usually respond to. It's very broy and weird, and the humor is a little clumsy and and you know, oafish. But uh, man, is it is it fun? The 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 mechanics of the just sort of chaos and the the you know the maestro of death that you become on the battlefield, just knocking people around and flinging them, and you have this whip thing that this this tether that you can it's a blast so i was like i'm gonna re-download this and, and see how well the remaster feels and looks and uh see if i remember it if it's as fun as i remember it well it's still very fun but boy that and in red faction to a certain extent too remind me how far we've come in a very short time with video games because oh. the story <laughs> the storytelling is so poor the stock characters that we get i mean if you look at something like Red Red uh, Dead Redemption Two and the Assassin's Creeds and uh, Spider Man, I mean e- everything that comes out now, it seems has decent storytelling, nuance. All the characters don't la- look like the same dark haired, grizzled, stocky, muscular moron. Uh, it it it's a weird thing to to think that that's how all video games were. Very very few years ago you know every single game had the same bland featureless dude as the main character and now we have all of these really interesting nuanced worlds that are created and uh i just i was struck by that because bulletstorm still mechanically is a lot of fun and red faction also but man both of those games feature completely unmemorable main characters and storylines for the most part so I thought that was interesting. Um, Christian, the the other – well, let's – before we get to Christian, I want to thank our second sponsor. We've got to thank our sponsor, uh, Robinhood. You talk about video games. Um, I've always thought that my – that I'm – because I'm a video gamer, I might be good at investing. I might be good at playing the stock market because it's kind of like a video game. It's kind of like a board game or a video game. And I've always thought, man, it would be awesome to give it a try. But I've been so intimidated by it. And I didn't know where to start. And I knew it was super expensive. If you play it like a video game and you do all these trades, uh, it tends to be the case that you spend money every trade, like up to $10 per trade. Well, Robinhood exists to change all that. It's It exists to make investing accessible to people like me that didn't think it was for them, that were intimidated by it, that want to try it. Uh, it comes with easy to understand charts, market data, you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone and they have no commission fees for trades. So you trade stocks, you keep all of your profits. Uh, you they don't, they don't have a per trade fee. It's no commission. You learn by doing. You can invest as you and, and learn about it as you build your portfolio. You can discover new stocks and track your favorite companies with uh, a news feed that's personalized in the app. It's really it gamifies it. And again, you know, this is real money, so you got to be careful. But it feels so much more accessible. I'm actually enjoying the process of learning about it now. And because you listen to this show. You have an opportunity that's pretty darn cool. Robinhood is giving listeners of DLC a free stock like Apple or Ford or Sprint to help build your portfolio. You can sign up at dlcpodcast.robinhood.com. That's dlcpodcast.robinhood.com. 
check it out. You might, this might be for you. This may be the way to get into investing and building for your future. Uh, I got into Robinhood uh, because of their ads on a different uh, podcast and a thing that they didn't mention uh, in your ad copy is that you can search for companies that have a female CEO and invest just in those. Uh, and that feels really goddamn cool to do. That's awesome. I did not know that. No, I wasn't aware of that. That's super neat. That's what I've done. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, I, I appreciate you uh, mentioning that. That's awesome. Um, Christian. What is your uh, what is on your play? Oh, you've been playing the other big video game release this week. Uh Pokemon. The new Pokemon is out, right? Yeah, I've oh, got dang. I've got Pokemon to talk about and Hitman 2 to talk about. Should we start with Pokemon? I think so. I think we'll yeah. give the people what they want, the Pokemons. All right, let's go. Get it? Um anyway. Let's go, uh, I've been playing Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. I got it with the Poke Plus ball controller thing because I'm an idiot with my money, and, and um, this game is delightful. It is gorgeous, which I think if you've seen videos of, um, you've probably been able to see. This, capture the way that they recreated the very first Pokemon again in first in, in full 3D, and way Nintendo has been doing it. I think really since the Wii U, maybe even before but utilizing their art direction and colors to their strengths to overshadow the underpowered system that they might be on. Um, And I think Pokemon Let's Go does that so well with how beautiful and bright and stylized this world is rendered and seeing it in, you know, HD graphics for the first time. We feel like Pokemon Snap and other Pokemon games that have had great Pokemon graphics, but still coming from you know what an OG Game Boy color and then and then seeing the world you remember from your youth uh in HD on your big screen or even in handheld mode it, it's really cool I, but i think even nostalgia aside i think this is a great entry point for new pokemon players as well i've been playing with my daughters um mostly watching my 6 year, six year old has you can grab the second controller and shake it and kind of immediately jump in and she's jumped in a little bit but mostly enjoys just watching and hanging out um, and learning about all the different Pokemon. We'll spend time in the menus, just reading about their strengths and watching their attack animations and all those things that Pokemon has always had, but having it be on the big screen um, for my kids to be sitting next to me is a really big deal. Whereas like sitting on my 3ds, you know, playing Pokemon that way, it's not as inviting to bring other people in Um, the biggest changes to this game in the, from the mainline Pokemon series. And in my experience as someone who's liked Pokemon, but hasn't played every iteration ever that's come out. um, It's the idea that battles in the overworld are no longer random. You don't have random encounters with Pokemon. You see all of the Pokemon that you can capture wandering on the map. So you can choose to avoid a Pikachu if you don't feel like capturing at them or whatever, right? Or you can seek certain things out and run into them and get them. Then the way you capture has also been changed. It's very much a Pokemon Go, the mobile game uh, mechanic now versus the traditional Pokemon where you'd be wandering through the grass, you'd have a random encounter, then you'd have to do a little battle to weaken them, or then you could throw your Pokeball to capture them. Now you go into battle, they're there, and you're just throwing your Pokeballs at them. You can do this. This is a game kind of like Mario Party where you cannot use a pro controller. You are either using a Joy-Con or the Pokeball 
and you do you can play in handheld mode uh, and in that mode the default is you kind of move the console around to aim your throw and then hit a you can turn off motion control if you just want to traditional uh, analog stick and aim but if you're playing on the screen you use your joy con or the pokeball and you do a little throw and you throw your pokeball at the pokemon to capture it and you can instead of battling it to wear it down you can throw food at it and that will improve your chance of catching a difficult to obtain pokemon and then your throw actually matters too like i'm surprised by how well it seems to track um, and when I mess up, I know it's because I'm holding my three and a half year old and she's wiggling <laughs> and I'm not going to have a, I'm not going to throw a perfect strike in that moment. Um, but I, I understand. You really, I mean, I, I want to challenge you a little bit on that. You, you really feel that way. You really, <laughs> you really think that, that, that there is skill in the pokeball controller. I, I'm not saying there isn't. I just, I just find it hard to believe. Y- yes. I'm not, it's not, I'm not throwing a you know, a backdoor cutter to a major league baseball player. But yes, when, when you, it, I'm, I'm very surprised because the switch does not have like the sensor bar. It's all built into the joy con or the Pokeball itself. And you do need to keep your arm straight and throw straight at the screen. If you sidearm it or break your wrist early, you will miss like it. It does. Is it have, the kind of thing that, that once you've got it down, it will always you'll always be good at it. You'll always be able to repeat that thing, or is it yes vary from Pokemon to Pokemon? Or so the, the throwing motion, yes. Once you get the motion down and you learn like the specifics of you know your arm angle or how you're throwing the thing. Like I said, this isn't a, a real time baseball tracker, but how it adds difficulty to catching Pokemon is the circle within the circle will be a different color. So if it's green, you have a pretty good chance of catching that with any throw. If it's, I think it goes yellow orange red maybe don't quote me on these colors but the circle color is different and you know that okay i need to throw out some berries to make it a little more um easily caught you know a little more receptive to me throwing a pokeball at it using a giant ball so there's that thing and then the pokemon itself is animated sitting there so um pidgey will fly and it's like a one beat two beat then it flutters up so if you throw when it flutters up you miss and then that pattern isn't consistent all the time so they'll juke and and dodge and stuff like that so you need to pay attention to the pattern but it's not meant to be super complicated right like this is a stepped down version of of the pokemon experience and it's playing off the popularity of pokemon go where that too when you flick the screen like if you drag your finger to the right you'll miss a throw um but also it's not skill based, right? There aren't like esports Pokemon Go ball Pokeball flickers out there, right? Like it's not that competitive. Yeah, but, uh, it, but does it? It feels additive. It feels like this is a better way to play, or does it feel like a silly thing that you're doing over and over and over? Both, and I think depending on your mind, <laughs> that was a really good sigh that really summed up your review of the game. <laughs> well, so I, I I really enjoy this game, and so here's what the sigh represents: this Brock, who, by the way, my daughter and I kicked your butt uh, yesterday. No big deal. Taking down the first one uh, in in Pokemon. Yeah, you were you were real pushover. Oh. <laughs> oh, we were way I, OP I by the time we got there. Um, here's the sigh. Here's the sigh. It does feel very repetitive. And if you're out just trying to grind your Pokemon and you're running into all these Pokemon over and over and over again, and then throwing the thing and capturing, throwing the thing, capturing, throwing the capturing, you're like, oh man, I am just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And look how 
trite and, and rote this is. But at the same time, that's the same thing you were doing before. You just had a little game of rock, paper, scissors before. So it actually took longer to accomplish the same thing. Like the point of why you're out there doing it is either A, to build your Pokedex, or B, to level up your Pokemon through experience of having them in your party in this game and before battling with them to level up their stats. And so I don't know if having it just be a simple throw mechanic or throw a couple of berries and then throw your Pokeball at it is a worse experience than running into a their 800th thing and going quick strike, peck, dust, quick strike. Well, are we going to have like a whole generation of kids needing Tommy John surgery? Is that what's going <laughs> We already have that. Uh <laughs> That's called uh, Major League Baseball. Um, no, it, like I said, it's not it's not that robust. Um, oh, the other big change, though, in terms of simplifying it, is you have your bag of Pokemon with you at all times. So you don't need to go back to the Pokemon Center. Is that what it's in-game? My terminology. So, uh, the diehards, I'll, 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 I'll anger at some point, I'm sure, if I haven't already. But you have it with you at all times, so you're able to constantly change your party in and out, and everybody in your party, your six Pokemon get XP as you battle and catch Pokemon in the world. And so you're really encouraged, I feel encouraged, to be constantly changing out what Pokemon I have and get all of them up to a high level. Whereas before, it was cumbersome to go back to get your bag to change Pokemon where you kind of land on the ones you want to use and that you've leveled up, and then that's your crew that you have running with you. And I feel like this is a lot... There is the game here where we're taking down the gyms and you're going through this world and there is that Pokemon game and little side missions of collecting X number of Pokemon or whatever. But I also feel like it is a um, like an auto vista where you're looking at all of them. You're seeing them in HD graphics and and you're meant to spend time with them in the viewer and change them out and get to know them where it's like a real Pokemon game and Pokemon Snap, right? Where Pokemon Snap was just looking at your Pokemon in 3D graphics on your TV, and there was nothing else to do. And this is that aspect of it, or walking around your car in Forza, but also going out and playing against other trainers and gym leaders. And uh, yeah, it is it is simplified, but it is really enjoyable. And it's replaced um, Diablo 3 as my pick up and play for 20 minutes just grind out a couple of XP for a little bit. I don't have anything else to do or I'm waiting somewhere. And um, do you play with the ball when you're waiting somewhere? When I'm at, no, when I'm waiting somewhere, I play it in handheld mode and I, you move the screen around. It's not. I just super... want this idea of you like waiting in the, in line at the <laughs> post office or something. And you like pull out your little ball, flip the kickstand <laughs> and then get the pokeball out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring, I'll bring the pokeball. You'll, you'll see it's, I mean, you play with that at E3. I did. I saw it at E3. It's, it's much smaller than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's tiny and it's not, you can't push Y. Like you still need to use the joy con to kind of get things started and to actually get into some of the deeper menus. And it's definitely meant as an accessory for this game, but you know, it's cute when like the, you catch a Pokemon, you, the Pokeball rumbles and it makes the Pokemon's noise from the ball. And my kids get a real kick out of that as like their first experience with Pokemon. And I get a kick out of it because I'm old and it's bringing me back to 20 years ago or whatever, when I first played Pokemon. Um, I think there's a lot to like in this game. I think it's easy to dismiss as like not a mainline Pokemon game and be angry that the Pokemon company didn't give us a real, pokemon rpg on switch yet but i think if you can look what is a real pokemon rpg it's it's Mm. more in depth um 
the rock paper. Then this thing that makes you explore the actual world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's 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 harder. This game, uh, I've heard that when you get to the end, you actually need to make sure you stock up on some potions and some revives and stuff like that. But this this game, I have not. There's not been a challenge yet in any way, shape, or form. Uh, traditional Pokemon games, you can hit a challenge pretty quickly in your gym. You need to go grind, a la an old, you know, an old school Final Fantasy game where you're out running the world. And I think not being able to see characters in the overworld um, makes it harder. Also, where now I can purposefully go seek out. I can go into a screen and see if there are any Pokemon that I want to catch there. And if not, I can leave and reload. I'm not wandering around, you know, through the grass hoping to get a random encounter with a a, a poison type Pokemon that I'll want to go on my next adventure or whatever. So things like that. And then, and then, like I said, going back, uh, time saving things that I think some players found endearing about the other games because you you backtrack more and because encounters are random you're spending time in battles more where here you can avoid them if you're at a good enough level and you're just trying to get to the gym um it's simplified it, it's it, it's definitely simplified i know i'm gonna alienate a lot of listeners when i say this but uh i have not only never really played a pokemon game uh, there are a lot of franchises that i look at from outside and i'm envious of like it used to be monster hunter was like that where i'm like i never really got into monster hunter but boy i wish i could and then monster hunter world came out and i had that experience this year never ever have i ever heard anyone talk about pokemon and i've gone man i wish i was into that game there's nothing about those games that sound <laughs> fun to me but uh more power to everybody that loves them i i'm certainly not uh you know don't want to take anything away from people that, that love it it's it's just i never got into it i missed the boat on it when it was a big thing in my youth and uh just it just doesn't appeal to me in any way yeah i i think we need oh, like a, a german word for what this is uh back when i was writing on uh, carboni's tv show i was like we should have a segment that like people that like know that they've missed out right on a franchise try to explain what they think that franchise is <laughs> i was like i'll go first i've never done a final fantasy but i did watch the cgi final fantasy movie that's it. That's all of my Final <laughs> Fantasies. So quiz me on what Final Fantasy is, and I will give you the answers that I think best fit it. And like, as we were talking about that in the office, like everyone was like, yeah, yeah, by the way, like, I don't know what a Resident Evil is. I was like, oh my God, you, you lucky, beautiful, golden forest <laughs> child. Good on you that you, you've never had to do that. But also, Tell me what you think that looks like. Right, so I right. love that this is your version. Like, what what does Jeff think Pokemon looks like? Yeah, I mean, I I I know that you get something and they start as one thing and you make through a lot of repetitive stuff they turn into something else. But that's about as far as it goes. Uh, I played a little of Pokemon Go when it you know first exploded and uh, and I was like, okay, fine. But I just the aesthetic has never done anything for me. The, the aesthetic of those of those little pocket monsters. Uh, I have to, there's something about me that maybe is very shallow, but I have to be at least drawn to the look and feel of the world. And I just have never, ever looked at a Pokemon and gone, that's cool looking. Yeah. And that won't change. I remember (laughs) I tried to get you to play sun and moon. I think what it boils down to, and this game is, is different, right? Pokemon go, the mobile game is just about collecting. And the the thrill of filling a basket with all the possibilities you can fill it with. And then the gyms, and they add a little competition there. But the traditional mainline Pokemon games, it's like any other 
I, I guess you would say JRPG more so than than the air quote Western RPG. But it is random encounters, grinding levels to then go take take down these these bosses and rule the world. And the yeah. way you do that is your weapons are these pocket monsters, and the way that you um level them up is through these ran- using them in battle. So it's kind of the RPG version of you get more grip if you climb more, like your um EV gets stronger if you use her in battle and then she becomes battle tested and then you get to customize your move set. You learn new moves, but to yeah. add a new move you have to drop a move. And then the way that you fill up your world instead of side missions, which there are some, but instead of looking at your Spider-Man map and being like I did all these side missions, you look at your Pokédex and you're like, I caught them all. And right. so I think it's that collecting sure. aspect <laughs> with the JRPG that makes it interesting. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to show you how uninterested I am in all of this, they literally added this system to World of Warcraft, and it didn't get me to play it. Like, they literally have battle pets in World of Warcraft, and I've never touched that system in, in a game I love with an aesthetic I love. So... You know, I'm a lost cause, and there's nothing that doesn't mean anything about the games. I certainly can't take away from from the games by any of that. It's just a, it's more of a personal thing. Yeah. All right. Then I guess Jeff, I have to ask: uh, Do you love Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu? I haven't watched the trailer, but I everyone keeps God going. Damn going it, crazy man! You've really it. done well at this. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, you have yeah. just like done a, a brick wall. Like, a, a, oh my God! Well, okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let's talk about Hitman because uh, Christian, you've also been playing uh, the new Hitman, right? Yeah, Hitman 2, which I guess was last week. I, I think it came out. Um, that can't be right because there's way more than two all, Hitman let's games. Let's all sing the theme song together. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hit a Hitman. Hitman. Uh, and there's oh, definitely like more than down at the end. There's definitely more than two hitmans, so, so that this can't is, be accurate. This is the seek, Jeff. I apologize to our audience. Me talking about something that I love, uh, Jeff actually hates, brings out snarky cynic Jeff. I don't hate. I'm not. We, there's no hate. We have I'm him just, left. I think it's funny that the, that's called Hitman Two. It seems very problematic in the because I know Hitman games have been being made for 20 years and no other franchise has ever renamed themselves as they rebooted with uh awkward names tomb raider um (laughs) didn't call it tomb raider 2 though (laughs) no but which tomb raider is the second tomb raider the one with the rise shadow of something (laughs) kind rise of the shadow that's way clearer (laughs) hitman 2 is the sequel to 2016's hitman which was originally released episodically as a rebooting uh of agent 47 and a full collection full version ended up coming out this game went through some ip hell in terms of ownership and io getting dropped and what happened to this game and who owns it they bought it back and now it came out and it's a thing and hitman 2016 <clears throat> doom 2016. 2016 was the year of games again, just like the name of the game. <laughs> it's Doom. The year of 2016. Um, it came out and was what really loved. Uh, once in game of the year award. <laughs> was oh yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. Naming things is hard. I think at some point. Um, and Hitman Two is more of the same. It is all one package, so it's not episodic. I think it's six levels. I've gone through three. 
so far, um, not completing all of the stories or all of the, the possible ways to experience the world. But it is very much the same game as Hitman uh, 2016. And so if you love that game, Hitman 2 is very easy to recommend. The story is still a little overwrought. It's a direct continuation of that game's story, like literally picks up right from where that game kind of left off. However, you should probably call it Hitman 2 if it picks right up right after it left off. I mean, that'd be a great idea. Uh, <laughs> however, you do not need to have played Hitman 1 to play Hitman 2 because the story, it doesn't matter. It, it's not why you're playing. He's trying game. to kill people. He needs to kill people and they need to be dead, right? Yes. And why you're playing this game is that every level is a beautiful 3D interactive puzzle that becomes richer and more engrossing every time you play it because as you play through things it unlocks new areas where you can start or new weapons that you can spawn in and it gives you challenges like you're you're at its base it's like hey you know go push jeff Kanata out this window or whatever right and like that's that's your target that's what you need to do and by doing that and escaping you've succeeded but there are all these what would have been you know maybe trophies in years past uh, and i'm sure some of them unlock trophies or achievements in this game as well but other ways to like do it with uh have a battering ram push him out of a window or set up this explosive device to push him out have uh, someone get someone else drunk who then walks by and bumps him and pushes him out of a window like do it's it like in- trick shots right yes yes and and all of this stuff is outlined in the game showing you all of the different possibilities or, or ways that you can do it and it's about being creative in these environments and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And the beauty of it is the chaos that can ensue. And as things come together or understanding or learning the AI routines of how things happen and why they happen. And sometimes everything goes to your plan and it's the most beautiful thing. And other times things go so sideways and also ends up being an incredible, beautiful thing where uh, in the second level, I was trying to take out um, an older male target. And in order to do so, I was going to try to get this other... I, I Oh, yeah. So I shall say the story unfolds. You won't hear all of the story the first time you play through a level, likely, because you hear it up by eavesdropping on people's conversations. And that tells you little story beats. So the world also becomes richer as you play it. You don't need to, you won't be like, wait, why am I in Miami? All like, it won't be that jarring if you don't play through it every which way you can, but you learn more about these characters, what they're into, why they're shady, why you are trying to kill them or why they're trying to kill you, uh, which I think is really cool also. And just picking these things up randomly. So I had learned that the, the guy I'm trying to kill was going to meet, with this other person, and so I could go and take them down, take their clothes, put on their disguise, go to the meeting, get into the meeting room dressed as them, and when the person I'm supposed to assassinate comes in, they would recognize me, but it'd be too late. We'd be in a room alone together, and I'd be able to kill them, hide them, and then sneak out and just effortlessly walk out of this level. I'm trying to figure out how to get to this person who I've seen a long way away. I'm like, okay, that's the person I need to get to. I don't know their AI routine. So I'm not sure what they're doing or where they're going or, or or why they're doing certain things. And characters will stop and like pour themselves coffee. So if I put rat poison in that coffee because I thought the target was going to go there and someone else drinks it, well, well crap, <laughs> you know, and then they'll find a body and they'll be like, oh, we found this, a tourist's body is dead because they drank rat poison and then there's an alert for something unrelated. So I'm trying to get to this person. I can't quite figure out how to get to him through this office building. And I see they're there and they kind of keep moving and walking around to a different part of this office park area. 
And then as I'm going, I see this service. It's like um, like a, a service hallway in a hotel or something like that, right? Where I'm like, okay, looking at my little mini map here, I think this will cut through and get me over there and take me around the corner. And I go through this service hallway and then turn right and I'm in a bathroom and my target's there. And I was just like, oh, I take out a machete, wham, just <laughs> take the person. Out. I mean, it's this game is all about violence, which is... I wrestle with, we've talked about it before on the show, but it's not grotesque in that moment uh, in terms of its on-screen representation. But I take the person out, turn out the door, I still have the machete in my hand, and there's a security guard that just is like, hey, what? And I was like, uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing. And now it's just this this rat race of me trying to get out of this office building that I didn't know how to get around well enough to get to the person that I was trying to do it in a stealth manner. Uh, it's just beautiful chaos that all happened because of happenstance, right? Like stumbling into the scenario. And so few games do things like this anymore where they set up all of these little pieces, these dominoes and let them start just falling down different ways as a level progresses and seeing people talk about red dead, how seeing all of those systems interact with each other. I think Hitman 2016 and Hitman two also have so many beautiful and wonderful systems working together that makes these levels so fun to get in and play and experience. My knock against the game. I think what Christian, what Christian is upon is that we should do uh, sort of a radio play version of uh, different famous people playing through levels of Hitman. Yes. But we just do the sounds of all the people around them. So it's like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then somebody else in a different hallway. Uh, and, and trying to visualize that thing. Christian, the the two things that I think everyone needs to know about about this game right now are first, can you tell people about the briefcase? You mean we get to smuggle a lot of counterfeit items in? No, no, no. Have you seen the briefcase error? No, I haven't had a briefcase error. Oh my god! So uh, the thing that was uh, yeah, trending on a, Twitter yesterday, the homing was briefcase. That, yeah, people were throwing briefcases, and it was acting as a homing beacon where it would chase their targets around. <laughs> corners and just murder people and like you could go anywhere and fire this briefcase and and they haven't patched it yet and people are like don't patch it that's what i want in a hitman game is a briefcase hunts people like a ghost and murders them it's hilarious dude you gotta watch it it's um yeah you you can throw a briefcase and hit someone and knock them out well for whatever reason if you throw a briefcase and the the character that you're throwing it at it like locks on and it's going to hit them but if the character keeps walking on its its pathing and like goes around the corner the briefcase chases them and will hunt them down it's uh it's pretty funny that is pretty and what is what are the special one-off uh like hit hit characters called your targets yeah the the ones that appear once and if you mess it up oh yes yes um oh crap uh, I'm not gonna. It's not gonna come to me right now. But yes, I know what you're talking. It's like special events it, where it's like this person's in world yeah. now, and yeah. They they started it last season, and it was this idea that like every map you can get a character, they pop up once. If you don't get them, they'll never show up again, which is goddamn infuriating to a, a perfectionist like me. Uh, but so this one started with the character that is in the first level of the new game is Sean Bean. The actor Sean Bean playing <laughs> Sean Bean. And people were like, oh my God, Sean Bean, the most murdered man in all of Hollywood. But then I, I saw other people bring up like, hey, do you know what the completion percentage is on people getting this thing like in their one shot? It's like nothing. Sean Bean is going to survive more in the Hitman universe <laughs> than he has 
anywhere else, especially Silent Hill. Uh, so <laughs> good for Sean Bean. Oh, well. Finally, yeah, one for Sean, Sean Bean. Bean. <laughs> yeah, but that's what's great about this game and these these two games. I think the prior ones too, but it, it is aware of itself, right? Where it's like very self serious at times, but also you don a chicken mascot suit to like walk through the backstage of a football game or whatever, right? Like it's, it's very, or like, you're like, okay, you need to go, you know, sabotage this car and you don't like put on an accent. You're still a bald dude with a tattoo on the back of your head, but you have like a, a romper on like a mechanics romper. And you're like, hello, I'm here to fix the car. Everyone's else is like, all right, you can fix the car. You're clearly part of our team. And you're like, yes, I'm part of your team. And it's it's so Christian, silly. Christian, that accent work was incredible. Thank yeah. you. I'm trying to do the radio play for you. <laughs> um, my knock against this game, which I think is an unfortunate knock, but I think it holds true for most people. Uh, I'd have a hard time recommending Hitman 2 if you haven't played Hitman 2016, not because of the story, but because Hitman 2016 is so incredibly cheap uh, and maybe even free on Plus or, or Game Pass. I'm not sure. And it is incredible. Like, 2 is more of the same. And if you have played all of Hitman 2016 and are dying for more maps to play and and these sandboxes to play in, then yes, by all means, rush out and get Hitman 2. But if you have not experienced Hitman 2016, do that and save $40. Hmm. Fair enough. But it's phenomenal. They're so fun. They're so fun and so well-made. I mean, aside from briefcases or whatever, but <laughs> <laughs> sounds like that's add, adding to the fun. Yeah, um, man, I, I mentioned uh, earlier that I made this uh, pact with myself to just sort of follow the fun a little, at least through the end of the year. And uh, I, I absolutely adore Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I, I mean, I, I'm going to be talking good. about it a lot. Good. <laughs> What's that? Good. Just good. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. No. I mean, it's. It's. I just find myself loving every moment of it, and I'm not rushing through it. I want to finish it, but I'm just following my curiosity. And if something seems fun, I go do that. Uh, I found myself like I, you know, found a cave with a cool predator animal in it, and I'm like, I'm just gonna go I'm take that down. It'll be fun to do. I, you know, I have a quest to go steal something from a fort that's that's manned by you know thirty dudes. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to slaughter all of them and take over this fort. Why not? Because I am, I am liquid death in that game. And it is a blast. I, I found myself uh, scaling the, the side of a cliff face to get up to the top of this area to kill the leader of this uh, entire region of the map. Because if you can destabilize a region enough, you can kill the leader and then take part in this massive scale war that flips the sides between the Athenians and the Spartans. And so I'm like, I'm going to go take down this, this leader scale, the, this cliff side, which is awesome because you can scale any surface like breath of the wild. You can scale any surface in, in a Assassin's Creed game. I go up there, I take on six of his cronies, murder him. And uh, that, raises my my notoriety level to all of the mercenaries the they're named mercenaries in the game that you you're kind of working your way up the mercenary ranks as well and so these two mercenaries come after me and because i'm post level 20 in that game at level 20 you unlock the ability to fall from any height and not have any damage you just become a god i mean the game literally says fall from any height like a god 
And uh, so I just do a run as they come at me. These two like high level mercenaries are after me. I just take a running leap off of this cliff face that I, where this palace is at the top of this cliff. I take a running leap off the edge and just soar down and land with a thud on the ground. And the two mercenaries are at the top, just baffled and don't know where I went. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I, it's just not tethered to reality, but the game is gorgeous. Every area I've never used uh photo photo mode in a game more than I have in this game because every area I'm like, I gotta take a picture of this. This is stunning. I, I get cool items to level up. I'm going to probably be talking about this game a lot as I, move to complete it i'm already over 30 hours into it and i'm probably about halfway i'm just doing fun stuff i'm letting my curiosity take me and what seems fun i go do that am i going to hunt down a couple of mercenaries i'm going to hunt down a couple of cult leaders i'm going to take down a a fort and all its people i'm going to steal cool stuff i'm going to investigate the bottom of a volcano i had a fight last night there are these like legendary animals in the game that you can, there's a whole quest line to, to take those down. And I fought a legendary lion in the center of this naturally made pit, like this, like this, this valley between two mountains creates this natural <laughs> pit. And I, and you, and you can't like, it won't let you start the fight by shooting arrows from the top of it. I tried to like game the system and just like, pick him off with my arrows and like that's no, called no, no, hunting no. jeff that's not gaming the system that's, yeah that's right, right. Down a i tried to get him, get on my helicopter with my you know my <laughs> ar-15 and shoot wolves now um so i leapt to the bottom of this this pit and i fought this lion and it was like a 20 minute fight it felt like something out of dark souls 20 minute protracted marathon fight my palms were sweaty throughout the whole thing whittling him down there were ads he mom's he spaghetti would, mom's spaghetti yes you, yes, you get it okay you get it yeah i, I get it <laughs> i had one shot i was not gonna let it pass one opportunity. I, <laughs> um and he's like spawning like lesser lions to come at me i'm i'm you know i'm it was just it, I, i'm, the sorry, game is I'm sorry that's way funnier than anything else you said spawning lesser lions is such like a perfect like cellar door level beautiful like English phrase spawning yeah. lesser lions. It it makes me feel good to say it. <laughs> it's true. Anyway, uh, it's not the last time you hear me talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey because I'm I'm committed to it. In fact, it made it me was. like re- made me reinstall Origins. I like reinstalled Origins on my PC because I was like, I think it wow. supports ultra wide. I think it supports ultra wide. I'm playing Odyssey. Oh my God. On- xbox one x but i'm like i i had uh, origins on my pc and i think it supports ultra i think i'm gonna install it and see how it looks anyway uh so i'm i'm gonna talk about that more over the coming weeks because i'm just following the fun i have turned over a new leaf guys i'm following the fun i'm gonna i'm gonna finish this game and uh i really love it i i think the characters are fun i'm like there's a whole like Socrates quest line where he kind of like gives you these cool morality plays and asks you these questions like Zen Cohen type questions that don't have me in any, you know, right or wrong answer. It's just like, how do you feel about <laughs> it's fun? It's, it, I mean, it's a, it's pulpy, but it's fun. It's, it's great. Anyway. Okay. Let's think our last sponsor. Uh, that's Cashfly. Uh, calling all game developers, publishers, and e-game experts. E-game experts. That's what they went with. Are you taking advantage of a content delivery network to supercharge your game's experience? 
Whether you're looking to grow your current player base or launch a new game, trust CashFly's global AnyCast network to provide the performance you need without sacrificing security. Get the benefits of a global content delivery infrastructure without having to worry about server crashes and download failures. Since 2009, CashFly's solid 100% uptime SLA allows our listeners to tune in to our shows every week fast and easy. Give your players the same great experience. Don't lose players to slow game downloads. CashFly guarantees the quickest data transfer possible for all your players, regardless of location or internet speed. With instant scaling, players don't experience lags or glitches when your game's traffic surges. Turn casual players into loyal fans with fast game downloads and a seamless gaming experience from NYC to Hong Kong with CashFly. Having a content delivery network supercharge your game doesn't have to be expensive. Your traffic changes throughout the year, but your CDN bill doesn't have to effortlessly scale as your game grows without worrying about high CDN bills with custom pricing plans from CashFly. Receive a free custom CDN plan tailored to your game's delivery needs. Offer ends soon. Learn more at dlc.cashfly.com. All right, guys. Uh, As I said, uh, there's a big, long discussion about Red Dead Redemption 2 with Dave Chen coming up. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) The show is far from over, so stick around for that. But Brock Wilbur, thank you so much for being here. This has been such a blast. Hey, man. thank you guys so much. <laughs> uh, we 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 love it, and I would love to have you back. Um, you make me laugh like few people do. I love it. Oh, thanks, bud. Uh, tell people where they can follow you and your exploits online. No, first I want Christian to say nice things to me. Mm, mm, fair, fair. Oh, Go ahead, Christian. Um, uh, your your Pokemon gym was actually really much stronger than than I thought. It was real hard. Um, you know that's not me. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> huh, buddy? Hey, how about this? Can I say this? I was legit sad when you moved. Oh, buddy! No, no, no! I'm still around. I also, know. I'm doing but... God's work. <laughs> But it was just fun. I, my favorite thing about LA, and especially the LA comedy scene, is we're all garbage people, uh, all, myself included. Oh my God. But it's so fun when you see people that you genuinely like that you just run into randomly. And I feel like uh, I would see you uh, a good amount. Uh, part of that also is is uh, some venues that are no longer with us. But uh, I miss you. That's all. Oh, I appreciate that too. We lost some things. Uh, yes, uh, Jeff uh, asked me to promote some things. Um, Search iTunes for Brock Wilbur. I have a couple of things that are sort of fun. My wife and I have a podcast called Missouri Loves Company. It's about us moving out to the Midwest uh, to take part in politics. And we have done pretty okay so far. Uh, awesome. Doing Planned Parenthood things. And uh, we got Sharice Davids elected and we feel good about all that. Uh, I have an email podcast with Terrence Wiggins. I have a dark Lovecraftian self-care podcast uh, called Carrying Into the Void. I uh, have a board game podcast coming out with Matthew Monagle that's just about board games that uh, adapt uh, video games or TV shows or movies. So we're starting with the Fallout board game uh, awesome. and hopefully very quickly moving into the board game for um, uh, This War of Mine, which of all mm. the goddamn games in the world that would have a board game component, uh, a very bleak uh version of bosnia as a video game having this oh my god okay it's, it's have so you played cool. it yet i've heard it yes. i've heard it is spectacular but very depressing oh my god it's a nightmare and then they're like hey we have a board game and i found out about it the same day i found out that bioshock infinite has board game and i was just like 
hey, what's going on in the video game board game space? Who's, <laughs> yeah. who's, who's playing these games that they don't exactly love or even enjoy? And they're like, you know what? I want to take this with me to a local cafe and invite some strangers <laughs> and just see how they respond uh, to the hellscape I inflict upon them. <laughs> awesome. Ah, oh, I love it. Uh, uh, you, well, you guys invited me to uh, uh, also give a recommendation for something that isn't like games related. Well, we'll get we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, uh, cool. that's coming up. Coming up in a second. Uh, Christian, how about you? What's going on this week? Uh, if you're listening to this Monday, uh, I'm doing a spot at, at Flappers in Burbank on Tuesday that I know about right now. Usually, my LA spots are kind of uh, booked that week of, but uh, yeah, I'll be there Tuesday. And then I said that Play Games Be Nice T-shirt is back, so you can find that at Cotton Bureau and search for Play Games Be Nice, and the proceeds go to St. Jude and they help kids fight and beat cancer. So uh, check it out, and uh, you know, look good, feel good. Awesome. Um, I have another podcast for you to listen to. It is about movies and TV shows. It's called the Slash Filmcast. You can find it at slashfilmcast.com. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, that's it. Let's let's get it. Oh, you can also email the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Don't forget to do that. We love getting your feedback, comments, questions, whatever, what have you. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's wrap the show up now with parting gifts. Brock, now is the time to give folks a suggestion of something to do during their week. What do you got? I thought we'd just burn through the time, so I was trying to rush No, out. no, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. So you get one, one from me and one from my wife. Uh, the one from my wife is to watch Big Mouth on Netflix. There's two mm. seasons right now. Uh, it's a very, very funny animated show. It is uh, very much in line with what uh, I think Clone High would be now, but it also – serves teenage boys and girls equally and it's really impressive uh mine is that my buddy dave holstein wrote a show on showtime called kidding uh and it got jim carrey to come back to television uh the whole first season is up now it's been uh, continued for a second season and it's basically the idea of like uh what happens if mr rogers uh exists now and like everyone's heard that premise in some sort of way where they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when does he break bad? He doesn't. Uh, it is a show on a modern paid for TV network. That's about like, Hey, what if a good person struggles, but still stays a good person and never becomes a real piece of crap. Uh, hmm. and the struggle of that is very interesting, but along the way, uh, there's a lot of really insane episodes and really cool things, and it uh, plums the depths of some stuff. And uh, the sort of script that gets Jim Carrey to come back to TV after 20 years is is worth your time. Uh, I've been meaning to watch that show, and I haven't I haven't done. It. I gotta I gotta do that. I'm very excited to watch it. Uh, again, if, those if it was... wasn't my friend's show, I would not have watched it. And I was like, why is that? What is happening? Uh, yeah. It is really really worth your time. <laughs> So again, that is kidding. And the other show he mentioned was uh, Big Mouth. Big Mouth. Christian, do you have a parting gift? I do. It's been recommended by a guest on the show before. I had not finished it then, so I wasn't able to chime in. But Daredevil Season 3, I know it didn't get as much love on the internet as the first two seasons. But I think, uh, having just finished it, I think it was uh, astounding. It, it 
does the Daredevil thing of having an episode with a one very brutal, long, <laughs> one-take fight that they all seem to need to have now by, like, episode four. Um, it's the law. It's, it's Daredevil law. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's part of it. Uh, there's an episode called Karen that I thought was particularly powerful. Kingpin is incredible in it. Um, I think if you've fallen off some of the Marvel Netflix shows uh, and you have read some of the so-so reviews about Daredevil, if you like seasons one and two, give it a chance. It's a slower burn than some of the other seasons, but I think it's well worth it. That's Daredevil season three on Netflix. Uh, We got a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent into dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Dan from Birmingham in the UK. He says, uh, hey, guys, love the show and the positivity you put out into the world. Just wanted to suggest a parting gift that I think is right up your alley. Netflix is atypical is a wonderful series about an autistic teenager as he tries to enter the dating world. The show is lighthearted and full of positivity. The show handles autism in a very realistic and unique way, and it is one of the most heartwarming and funny shows I've seen in a long time. There are two seasons out there right now, and it's an easy recommend for anyone who needs reminding that the world can be a good place sometimes. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Dan. Again, that's Atypical on Netflix. Uh, my suggestion, my parting gift is uh, also a Netflix uh, joint. This is the new Coen Brothers movie, Ballad of Buster yes. Staggs. Oh, gosh. I love it with my whole heart. This is – it feels like a season of television, but it's a, it's a movie. It's a series of short stories. The way I'd like to describe it is you know how Black Mirror is – like the twilight zone, but for future tech near future tech ballad of Buster Skaggs is twilight zone for the West. So what if, what if you, there was a series of twilight zone episodes that were just about the West? Uh, it is a series of short stories. It is at times fun and funny and over the top and violent at other times, harrowing and dark and brutal it is quite an extremely, quite a, an exciting experience, and I, uh, you, I really, you were it. right about the production there in your guess. This was originally made as a, like a a ten episode TV show. And then oh, really? Is that true? Down. Yeah. Oh wow! I'm. So, they, I wish they it... shot it as a TV show and they edited it down to enter it into like a film festival for some reason, and then they're like, huh. you know what? Let's just leave it as this. <laughs> I wish I, I wish they had left it as a TV series. I would love to have it be more fleshed out. But I mean, they're all of them are amazing. It's, it's really good. It's, it's, it's great. And then to find out that you're like, Oh, each one of those stories had another 30 minutes. You're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Give that to me. Give it to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Interesting. Anyway, that's the ballad of Buster Skaggs and is on Netflix right now as well. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Although you got like 50 more minutes of talking about Red Dead. If you want to hear that coming right up, uh, it's really, um, uh, it's a really excellent discussion. And Dave is, is quite uh, articulate about it. And I, I hope you guys listen again, even if you don't want spoilers, there's a good 35 minutes of, of discussion before we get into any. So uh, check that out coming right up. Uh, but we will be back next week until then think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. I am joined now by my friend slash co-host slash film. Ha <laughs> ha. See what I did there? Nicely Dave done. Dave Chen. It's Dave Chen from the slash film cast. Uh, welcome to DLC, Dave. It is such an honor to be here. And I am not only a participant in DLC, I'm also a fan. 
Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you guys all listen to the Slash Filmcast that Dave and I do together. This this conversation came out of just sort of, I guess, some tweets. Uh, I read tweets of yours about having finished Red Dead Redemption 2. And I just kind of wanted to talk to my friend about his experience playing it. So here we are. And I have come to terms with the fact, I've made peace with the fact that I am not going to finish that game. <laughs> maybe maybe someday. <laughs> but uh, you know, as we have many discussions about this on our podcast, uh, that I am very, very spoiler adverse. And I try to avoid them uh, as much as possible. More so with movies than video games. But Red Dead is one of those video games that is trying to tell a very nuanced, in-depth story uh, and relies heavily on narrative. And so it is a, a game that I would usually stay far away from from spoilers. But I feel like uh, I'm very so curious as to what you're going to say about it and want to hear your in-depth views that this is going to have lots of spoilers. I'm going to spoil myself on it. And it's also because I, I think it's going to be a long, long time before I ever see the end credits of this game. So, mm. so here we are. So spoilers for Red Dead Redemption 2 starting right now? That's right. Spoilers Spoilers for Red Dead Redemption 2. If you, if you do not want to be spoiled, now's the time to turn off the podcast. But uh, Dave, you finished the game. How many hours would you say it took you to finish finish the game? You know, I'm not exactly uh, sure. I, what I did was I broadcast most of my play sessions on Twitch. And then I could look back and see like how long the play sessions were. My, if I had to guess... I, but I, I didn't do that for every PlayStation, so I did it for a lot of them. If I had to guess, I would say like twenty to thirty hours is, is really? probably that's short. Um, so did you stick to like main quests, yes. kind of pushing through? Yeah, okay. So so let me offer a few caveats before uh, I I talk about Red Dead Redemption Two. First of all, I just want to say uh, my objective, being a busy working professional, is was to get through the game as quickly as possible. Right, like <laughs> to to like play the game, get through the plot, like enjoy the story as quickly as possible um yeah. so i didn't spend like six hours fishing i didn't like hunt down the legendary kodiak bear stuff like i didn't do any of that stuff and so uh my play style was probably very different than a lot of people um and people who play differently or who enjoy different kinds of play styles might have an extremely different opinion of the game than me um but that's what makes uh enjoying things so wonderful jeff is we all have different opinions and right. we can learn from each other, right? This is like somebody that has been looking forward to eating cake all week and has saved up and it's been anticipating this cake for weeks and weeks and weeks and then gets to the end of the week and then eats the cake as quickly as possible, just <laughs> scarfs it down, shoves it down their gullet. As that, and the, that analogy would be correct if uh, the cake took, you know, 30 to 40 hours to <laughs> shove down your gullet. Right. So, <laughs> so let me ask you this question as another means of setup. Uh, did you play the first Red Dead Redemption and did, were you a fan of that game? So I have to say I did not play the first Red oh, Dead Redemption, wow. um, which I've heard is an excellent game. I will say that after uh, this game, I did go and watch all the cutscenes from Red Dead Redemption 1. <laughs> okay. uh, someone actually edited together like a two-hour movie on YouTube of just Red Dead Redemption 1 cutscenes. Mm -hmm. um, so I did go and, and watch that because I was so... Uh, engrossed by the story and, and these characters. And so I know what happens to John Marston. I know what happens to, to Dutch Vanderlyn. Um, did you play Red Dead Redemption 1, Jeff? I did. I did. I found that game to be uh, problematic in a lot of ways, but uh, incredibly uh, rich narratively. And I, I think it has one of the best endings of a video game of all time. 
Yeah. Uh, so between the two of us, we have played both Red Dead Redemptions. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We so, have the knowledge uh, of one normal Red Dead Redemption fan. <laughs> That's why we're here together, Dave. Yep. yep. Uh, okay. So let, that brings us to Red Dead Redemption 2. You you powered through it. What what are your overall thoughts on the game before we sort of dig deep into spoilers and the the actual story of this game? So I thought the game was, in general, very enjoyable. I had read a lot of reviews about this game. Like, so j- just to give people a sense of how much gaming I do, in a given year, I probably play through three to four games tops, right? Mm-hmm. So I-, I really need to kind of ration uh, which which uh, games I'm going to allocate my time to because I just I don't have that much time to play video games and so uh whenever a game does come out i do a lot of research on it like i watch a bunch of video reviews um i read a bunch of reviews and then kind of be like okay i'm ready to donate like 15 to 20 hours of my life to this right mm-hmm. like right. uh and so you listen i listen to the dlc podcast listen to the dlc podcast like non-stop I put it on repeat you know <laughs> uh and i actually did listen to your segments on red dead redemption 2 and i was like man i wish there was more conversation about this game on your podcast which is why i was like please let me have uh, a segment <laughs> on your podcast talking about it <laughs> well, here we are. uh and so uh, where was i going with this um so you 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 play few games. You have to you value those games. Oh yeah, make- yeah. And so reading all the reviews, I thought this would be a game that I hated. Like I, I thought, like based on everything I read, this is a game I'm not going to enjoy because uh, let me describe some systems in the game. Right? I mean, the, the game. I was listening to Jeff Gerstmann talk about it. He's like, this game is sounds like it's drenched in systems. I mean, uh, when you describe the game to people and you kind of try to depict the ver- you try to convey the verisimilitude it's like okay uh depending on how often you eat you get like fat or skinny and then that affects like how quickly you can move you can bond with your horse and you need to brush your horse you need to take baths or else you'll have a scent on you people will react differently to you um or uh when you go hunting you know you need to hunt to get food for you and your camp uh and if if you smell bad like the animals will, will smell your scent and you won't be able to hunt them. And all of that just sounded completely exhausting to me. Like, I, I'm just, I have enough difficulty taking, you know, like bathing in my real life, like on a regular <laughs> right. basis. I don't need to like, I don't need a game where yeah. I'm failing at doing that as well. You Video know games are where you go to not bathe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> By definition, I'm not bathing when I'm playing a video game. Right. And so uh, I thought, okay, this is just not the game for me. And that's too bad because I was like really excited because this is a game Rockstar has been working on for many years. And so I was really looking forward to it. Then I read a bunch of reviews and um, uh, it, they, you know, it, it seemed like not a game for me. But then uh, somebody basically got it for me as a gift. Uh, and so I thought, you know, what? I'll just I'll dip my toe in. Give it a shot. You know, one week later, I've beat the entire game, right? (laughs) Uh, Because I just found the storyline to be so engrossing. Like the the voice acting is extremely good. Uh, It it conveys this like air of authenticity that uh, I found to be very convincing. And the systems overall, you can ignore them. Like you don't need to actually um, bathe that much if you don't want to. You don't actually need to do that much hunting if you don't want to. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, over time, the systems kind of melt away and uh, you only need to do them as much as you want to do them. So, for instance, like there is a system of like if you're 
not wearing the right clothes. Like if you're, uh, if it's a winter environment and you're wearing like a light shirt, uh, your health is like impacted by that. Your stamina and your, your health is impacted. Um, but you can still do the mission. You know what I mean? It just, it just means that it's like a suboptimal way to do the mission. It's not like they won't let you do the mission if you're dressed wrong. Right. Right. So, so what you're saying is that, that if your goal is to just see the story in this game, you can largely ignore a lot of the other stuff and just do that. That is my assessment of it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you know, some people might find that to be not enjoyable or that might be people who like hundred percent a game might find that to be really upsetting me saying that, but you know, for me, that's, that's how the game worked. So I'll say like the story was really, really well done. The game is beautiful. Of course, like oh, technically yeah. it's a Marvel and uh, the, there's just the, the game world is so big and loading times are pretty minimal overall. You know, like it's, it's just amazing to have a game world this large where there's just not that much loading. I mean, when, when transitioning between events, uh, like if you're setting up a, up a camp or cooking food or whatever, that takes a while. But like if you're just riding from place to place, like I I, I barely perceived any loading between locations. Um, and so I just think technically the game looks and feels pretty amazing. Right? Uh, no, there's no argument there. It is an extraordinary technological achievement by every measure. Um, so let me turn around to you, Jeff, for a second and sure. ask you, like, what is the point at which you kind of jumped off? The game, like, was there a moment when you you thought to yourself, "I'm done with it"? Was it when you fell asleep yes. while holding the X button? Like, what, what happened? You know, <laughs> no, uh, that that I that I persevered through. I honestly made a decision uh, to to try to do what it sounds like you did, which is, I said, I I loved the story of Red Dead Redemption. I thoroughly enjoyed that game and i had to force myself to power through sections there's a large section in mexico in the sort of last third of that game that is just very tedious and it feels like the the game was crescendoing and then it's like nope you still have like five more hours of story in this weird place that you didn't really even need to go to anyway so i had to force myself to power through that game and it was worth it i got to the end and i just found the ending of that game to be an emotional wallop and really satisfying in a way video games rarely are and uh, so I, I said to myself, I'm just going to do what it sounds like you did, Dave, which is just go from main quest to main quest, power through, see the story, do as little other stuff that I find tedious as possible and just head down and <laughs> eat my vegetables, you know? <laughs> uh, and uh, and so I literally completed a quest, got on my horse from my camp after slowly meandering through my camp, got on my horse and just like, I'm going to head to the next uh, next mission objective. Left the camp, went down a rise. Four outlaws came out of the woods and one-shotted me off my horse. And I went, eh, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I will say that definitely happened to me a couple times where you're just riding away. Like, there's like a bounty on you, you know, or something. You're riding out of camp and then you're just ambushed by a bunch of rival gang people or law people and it just they just one shot you or or not one shot me but like you know they would kill me in like 10 seconds right yeah. and, and if, if i had something like uh like assassin's creed odyssey has for example which has a quick save in literally every menu has a, the quick save option uh i wouldn't care i'd be like oh i'll just reload where i was and try to avoid those outlets but no like rock stars decided that's not how they want you to engage in that world and it just doesn't feel good to me and and again I understand that's kind of immature and and a lot of people probably will judge that decision. But for me, I just want to spend my time less frustrated and less 
taxed on sort of the tedium and enjoying myself more. And, and I get it. It's fine. Uh, you know, I will, I will also say relating this to our usual topic of movies, I dated a girl, uh, in, in college whose parents wouldn't go see him. They once said to me, um, I recommended a movie. I can't even remember what it was. I recommended a movie that I just thought was amazing. And they went, you know what? We just kind of want to go and feel good at the movies. <laughs> we just want to you know, come out and like have a pleasant hour and a half in a dark place and then come out feeling happy. And I just thought that was such a small minded response. I was just like, but m- movies can be so much more. And there's, yeah, I want to feel and I totally recognize I'm doing the exact same thing here with video games. Where I'm like, I just want to go in Assassin's Creed and have fun. But I recognize that there's more going on in Red Dead Redemption 2. And there, it's a more ambitious thing. And it's trying to make me feel different stuff. I just don't want to spend 30 to 50 hours doing that. So I just want to say before we get into this next segment, whatever it is, that I really enjoyed the game. And over, I, I wouldn't call it a masterpiece. But I would say uh, it is one of the most ambitious games ever made. And it is something that I found to be hugely enjoyable. Like I I look back on my time in Red Dead Redemption 2 and overall, I think it was a great experience. Okay. So that being said, said, I'm now going to spend a huge portion of time explaining everything I didn't like about the game. (laughs) But I just want, I I just, but I want, before we, before we get to that, I just need to make clear as clear as possible that like, Overall, I really enjoyed it. I recommend it to people. You know what I mean? And I think it's like, yeah. It's chiefly because you were marveled by the technological prowess on display. And And the the storytelling. Overall, the storytelling I thought was very, very strong. I think like in particular, uh, Arthur Morgan played by Roger Clark. It's a a great uh, voice performance. And I, I don't think this character existed in Red Dead Redemption 1 for for reasons I'm going to get to later. Um, but uh, I, I, that, that's like a brand new character that's introduced to this universe, right? And so like they, they crafted that character out of nothing. Uh, it becomes a very – he becomes a very memorable character. And really what you're seeing, in my opinion, is like you're seeing two forces at work, which is – uh, the kind of end of the outlaw period, right? Like the, the, the game sets it up at the beginning, like industrialization is making it so that people can't live off the grid anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so you're seeing kind of that cultural force at work. Uh, that was obviously also a force in Red Dead Redemption 1. Uh, and then you're also seeing kind of how those uh, macro forces exert a disintegrating effect on this Dutch Vanderling gang. Like you're seeing how this gang is being like chipped away at piece by piece over time. And I found those to be really fascinating dynamics that were depicted well in the game. So I've always thought with rockstar though, that their, their storytelling is always ambitious, always sprawling, rarely uh, not interesting, right? It's, it's almost always interesting, but I think they have time and time again, had a problem with pacing and yeah. I wonder if that's the case here still, even as somebody that just sort of focused and went after the mainline story missions, did you feel like the pace of the storytelling was problematic? I did think it was problematic, and I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. I will say that I this is the first Rockstar game since Grand Theft Auto 3, like the PlayStation 2 version. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've completed the story, I think. Like, I've played Grand Theft Auto 4, I played Grand Theft Auto 5, didn't play Red Dead Redemption 1, but, like, uh, 
I, I would always get to, you know, the 20 hour mark in those games roughly and just give up because yeah. I'd be like, uh, you know, I, I, it's like I feel like this is taking way too long. And um, a lot of these worlds are like unpleasant to yes. be in, you yes. know, like if Grand Theft Auto five, like, uh, you know, everyone is like it's very misanthropic. I would yes. say that game is right. Like there, there's very few redeeming qualities to anyone in that game. Their whole oeuvre is misanthropic. Yeah, but I would say like this game, uh, you know, Red Dead Redemption uh, Two, and I think probably Red Dead Redemption One. Like you actually root for these characters. You feel like the creators actually care about the characters. You know, hmm. like they they actually are invested in the characters as well. They want you to like them. They want you to see them as noble. You know, and and so I did not feel that with Grand Theft Auto Five. Um, yeah. but I felt that with this game. Um, but you didn't so, think that the overall themes are a little nihilistic you know this um, this feeling that that whatever was magical about the west is is dying i don't know about about nihilism i would say the one compelling kind of the, the thing that comes closest to that i would say the 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 game is very fatalistic right in the sense that um once you are a person or you're a type of person there are very few paths to redemption for you mm. um and in in the case of arthur morgan so so maybe we can start i don't know so th- there's like there's like story things i want to talk about towards the end of the game and there's also like aspects of the game that i thought were pretty frustrating you okay. know like game what, gameplay aspects so I'll which let one you would des- you like I, well i'll let you decide which would makes more sense to start with well let's just talk about like gameplay mechanics yeah that i thought were were pretty frustrating I, and i'm probably going to make like a youtube video about this i've been thinking about how to approach it but basically i think this game falls into the uncanny valley of video game realism yeah and what i mean by that is there are so many aspects of this game that try to immerse you into the reality of this world. Let me throw out a few aspects. Oh, I, I've already thrown out a few, right? Like when you take a bath, yeah. you need to scrub your head and your hands and your legs separately. You need to like press a button to scrub them separately. Um, you know, when you cook, you need to like physically like move the food over the fire to cook it. When you hunt, if you don't shoot the animal in the right place, uh, it, it ruins the pelt. When you skin the animal, it takes like moments to like do the animation skinning. And, you know, when you loot someone, as you pointed out in the podcast DLC, Jeff, you know, uh, you need to do this whole looting animation, yeah. right? And that's just like a handful of the dozens and dozens of ways that the game is trying to say, hey, this is this is what it was actually like to do these things. You know, it takes time. It takes, yeah. you know, you got to take your time when you're looting someone. You can't just like press a button and uh, and like opens up the inventory and you can just auto add everything, right? right? But the problem is it is a game. It is fundamentally a video game and uh, it will never achieve the, or not never, but like we are years away from achieving the kind of immersion that lets you really be someone in a game. And and as a result, those moments of um, trying to make you feel like you're in the game ripped me out. Like it, it ripped me out of the reality of, of the, the game. And you're fighting me, against the game at, at a certain point. It, yeah, it reminded me that I'm playing a game. It, yeah. it didn't. It didn't make me feel like, oh yeah, this is what it was actually like. It's like because then there's like it's juxtaposed with all these moments that are extremely um ridiculous and silly you know that like oh i'm carrying like ten thousand dollars on my person you know like how is that working you know um 
or uh, I, I can murder a person and just pay a hundred dollars and that's fine. You know, like it's yeah. just, it, it, it's the game is never going to be as realistic as what it was actually like. You know, it's trying to be Westworld, um, and it's it's not it's not even achieving that level because it's a video game, and I really wish that it had to to a greater degree embraced its status as a video game and understood that you don't need to force people into these extremely time-consuming systems to make the point you're trying to make. You know, I don't, I don't think it needed to to go as far as it did to make you understand what it was trying to say. I, w- I want to make a point. I, I think you brought up a really uh, pertinent thing and we kind of ro- steamrolled over it a, a bit. And and maybe this is unsurprising for people that know me, <laughs> uh, but I hope you'll indulge me a, a, a little. I think that I would love to see Rockstar make a VR game. I know mm. that's not surprising, but you want VR things, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> because I think honestly, you you made this point, and I think it w- is worth underscoring. The problem with all of that is, yeah, wash your arms, wash your legs, wash your head. All of it is push a button. All of it's push a button. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think honestly, all of that stuff would be really compelling if you had a motion type controller and you were literally scrubbing your arm and scrubbing your head and scrubbing your legs. And I know that's that still sounds tedious, but there is something about the interactions in VR that allow the entire thing to be slower, that allow smaller, uh, smaller interactions have much more meaning because you are actually physically doing the thing rather than abstracting it into press X to wash your head, press X to wash your arm, press X to wash your leg. And I found, I find so often in this game in what I've played of it, it is always just walk over here, push X, walk over there, push X, walk over this place, push X. And yes, I understand that's how video games work and all video games work that way to a certain extent. But in attempting what they're attempting, which you've outlined so beautifully, it it, it lands much more in that uncanny valley because of the abstraction. If they didn't – if they could get closer to – uh, actually doing some of those things. If you, when you brush your horse, you literally had to move your hand across, uh, you know, a horse right. and you kind of felt vibrations in the controller. I think those things actually would be more compelling and interesting and it would immerse you more in that world and it would make you feel like they're attempting to make you feel, which is what it would like to be a cowboy in the West. Yeah, I, I don't know that that would be enough, like a VR version of this would be enough to get you out of the Uncanny Valley. But... I, I can say that whatever they attempted here did not really work for me in terms of uh, from an immersion standpoint. Like I, I felt, uh, and, you know, and th- th- there's many times where this frustration pops up where like, for instance, like you want to, you're, you're going into camp, right? And you just need to like, you just want to like make a little donation to the camp box. You just want to grab a soup and get the heck out of there, you know, to, to do the next mission. And the game forces you to walk through the camp in an extremely slow rate. And it's just like, well, that's really annoying. Like, I understand you're, the game is trying to say to you, hey, uh, if you were actually in this camp with all these people, you wouldn't just be running around like a madman. Right. But then, like, a bunch of other things, like, fracture the reality of the game. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it, it, I, I don't feel they struck the right balance between um, being ultra realistic and being a video game. I felt like they're trying to make a point by, like, making you press an extra button every time you wanted to, like, cock the gun. Yeah. And it ended up um, just reminding me that, oh, I'm, I'm sitting at home pressing buttons 
playing a video game, right? Um, I think the game is also like, we talked about this earlier. Uh, the game is also really unforgiving, right? I mean, <laughs> to uh, no pun intended, uh, but like you can be walking through town and you accidentally brush by someone on your horse uh and you do it a little bit too fast right you're like hey i want to gallop a little faster to get to my next location um and you brush someone and then they're like i'm reporting you for a crime and then like people start shooting at you and then you start shooting at them to live and then like now you're wanted for an even bigger crime you know like and then it escalates out of control and people are saying this oh and that's like a memorable 20 minute sequence of events and it's like yeah but like i didn't i didn't want to do any of that you know i just wanted to get from location a to location B, uh, and and so that's that 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 could be frustrating. Where like uh, the game makes a choice. Where in, in this game you don't want to be wanted, right. right? Like in in Grand Theft Auto, like that could be fun. Yes. you know, yeah. Uh, it could be like, oh, I got like military tanks coming after me. Like we're rolling rolling over like Golden Gate Bridge or whatever the hell a uh, military tanks. Um, and that, that was fun to like escalate that and get five stars and stuff. And in this game, it's just a terrible experience. It's like, you don't like, I never wanted it to happen. You lose honor, which I thought was like a very frustrating and inconsistent system. Like it, the the game does a pretty bad job of communicating in general, in my opinion, but you know, well, I think, I think the response from people, if I may, is the game kind of actively doesn't want you to engage with it the way that you and I attempted to engage with it, which is critical path. Tell me the story, get me through it. It it is, it is pushing you to have those emergent experiences and pushing you to sort of just saunter through the valley on a, during a sunset. And maybe there's a rabbit that goes by and, Oh, I should probably hunt that. It's, I think it's trying to create a less focused experience. Yeah, I know. I think I think that's true. Like it's it's wanting it, it it has in place mechanics to prevent you from rushing through it. Right. Right. So in in many ways, I did feel like I was fighting against the game. Right. And so uh, and so if you if you're not r- trying to rush through the game, um, if you're if you're willing to take you know sixty to seventy hours playing the game, then you might have a much better time. Right. Than than what I'm describing because you're okay walking slowly through the camp. You're okay. Yeah. Um, walking from place to place in the city, you know, and so on. Um, I will say, uh, let me bring up a a thing I really liked about the game is for a huge portion of the game, you are visiting these, these towns that like literally could be called one horse towns, right? Like that it's like six buildings (laughs) that look like they would fall over if a stiff breeze blew on them. And that's like the whole town. And then, at some point, I would say probably the around you know chapter three, chapter four mark, you arrive at this place called Saint Denis, which is kind of a like a New Orleans type stand-in. That it, it, it's 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 really incredible. Like it, it is like a whole city, and the visual contrast between what you have experienced up until that point for many hours, like you're in the middle of nowhere, you have these cities these kind of towns that are in the middle of nowhere all of a sudden this city springs up to life and it's like oh my gosh like this is the future and i really loved how you as a gamer are kind of experiencing modernity along with the the characters you know like the character is also being being like 
oh my gosh, like this extremely elaborate city with all these people that are dressed really nice. Like you also are witnessing that because you spent 10 to 20 hours, you know, in, in extremely sparse environments. Right. It's, it's really an amazing moment when you get to that point. So I, I to the game's credit, I did want to say like, there are, but again, that kind of goes towards like character design, you know, and, and the, the engine and the world rather than like the actual game mechanics, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the, the issues I had with, that's like the biggest issue I had with the game, you know, is that like, I felt like I was fighting the mechanics the whole time. Shall we talk about the story? Yes. Shall we talk about yes. like where the story goes? Um, so I think there, I, I haven't played Red Dead Redemption one, but my sense is that chapter five, I think, uh, happens in a place called Guarma. Have you heard about this? Yes. So I, it seems like it's kind of similar where you wash up on a beach in, I believe, Cuba, right? Mm-hmm. And then you help to lead a uh, a uprising yeah, against yeah. Uh, oppressors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and later on, you, you kind of get involved with Native Americans as well, also trying to um, lead an uprising against their oppressors. And I think, it, to me, the game was introducing a ton of new story threads and new characters at a time when it should have been trying to wrap things up. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like you have characters you've never met coming in like chapter five uh, and, and chapter six. And I'm already, I was already extremely engrossed by the story until that point. And all of a sudden you're introducing me to all these new characters. Uh, and uh, you know, the, the way that the game handles those characters is competent. It's not terrible. But it just felt like it was stretching itself too thin and really like was being overly ambitious. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You'd, I think we, we'd both rather a game be too ambitious than not ambitious enough, right? This is something that I think Rockstar has done over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, even L.A. Noir, it's like you finish the Black Dahlia storyline in that game and it feels like, man, that was incredible. I guess the credits are going to roll now. And it's like, no, now you got transferred to the arson division. And it's like, what? I don't – what? <laughs> yeah. So – uh, so I think if that was the only issue, then I would have like a, a much more positive impression of the game. But th- we got to talk about the epilogue too. Okay. Before we get to the epilogue, we got to talk about what happens to Arthur Morgan though, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I this will, again, I don't have any idea what you're about to say, but I will say that the first game, you know, earned its title of Red Dead Redemption as a really redemptive tale uh, about a son redeeming the father. Right. Mm-hmm. And I found it to be so beautiful and so powerful. Uh, does this game earn the redemption title? I think so. Mm. I, I would say yes. Um, so you don't know what happened to Arthur Morgan. I'm going to be the not. one to to pop your Arthur Morgan cherry Indeed. on the podcast. Yes. Uh, this is a great responsibility. I don't think I prepared enough for this. <laughs> um, so essentially what happens through the course of this game is that the Dutch Vanderling gang continues to disintegrate, right? And the gang finds itself continue like uh, besieged to a greater extent and with more frequency by outside forces, whether they be like gangs or law people. And, um, you know, Arthur Morgan, uh, your character starts to be kind of a malcontent in the gang. Right. He st- starts kind of saying uh, he starts doubting Dutch quite a bit and then voicing his discontent with regularity. 
and you can you're basically you basically become the wet blanket of the Dutch Vanderling gang, right? And you feel like the tension growing between these two characters. It feels like really unpleasant because I, I found Dutch Vanderling to be like a pretty charismatic guy in the earlier parts of the game. And then uh and you feel like this kind of bond between them, and then like that just starts going away. And like I really felt painful. It, it was painful when that when that started to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, uh, essentially, there is a big conference. Like Dutch Vanderlyn starts, uh, uh, he starts uh, becoming more attached to this other character in the gang called Micah, who becomes Arthur Morgan's kind of rival. And Micah is like a terrible person and has done terrible things and is an un- unsavory character. And so the game ends. The Arthur Morgan storyline ends with a big confrontation. Um, between Micah, Arthur Morgan, and Dutch Vanderlyn. Hmm. And essentially, like, Arthur Morgan tries to, uh, you know, tries to, like, kill Micah and fails at doing so. I, I, I did want to backtrack a little bit and talk about game mechanics and say, like, one thing that I actually thought really worked in the game from a game mechanic perspective was the horse bonding perspective, the horse bonding stuff. Mm. Did you, do you ever engage in any of that? And while you were playing only, Jeff? only a, a, a little bit. Uh, so there is this beautiful moment at the end of the game where, uh, you, Arthur Morgan needs to leave his horse behind to like ascend this mountain in order to, uh, find Micah. And his horse like is shot or like is exhausted and drops to the ground and Arthur Morgan says to his horse, like, he just says, like, thank you. He says mm. to his horse, like, thank you. Mm. And then runs up the mountain. And it's just like, oh, what a beautiful point. What a beautiful moment. Because you spent, like, at that point in the game, I had spent, you know, many, many hours, like, riding on that horse. Uh, and I just really appreciated that. And apparently, if you get a new horse, like, right before you do that mission, it, that moment doesn't happen. Wow. So I thought that was pretty, it was pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. Um, so, uh, anyway. Arthur Morgan runs up the mountain and encounters Micah. And basically they have this big fight, like a fist fight. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy the hand to hand combat in this game, particularly nor, nor a lot of the, like I thought the aiming and covering system was pretty rough yeah. overall. I, I don't know if you feel the same way. Absolutely. I uh, felt that about all dated. rockstar games. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty dated. It doesn't feel like it's evolved at all. Right. Um, yeah. That's my problem the, is that they, yeah. you know, they spend so much time evolving everything else and they do like, these core systems. They're, Anyway, yeah. yeah. So you have this like fist fight with uh, Micah, uh, and then Arthur Morgan. Oh, by the way, I, I forgot to I'm like telling the story really poorly. Arthur Morgan, you find out like earlier in the game has tuberculosis. Oh wow! And so he's like already in a terrible state as he's like <laughs> in an implausibly terrible state because like, there's no way someone would like be able to do all the stuff he does with tuberculosis and coughing all the time. But anyway, um, he essentially like fights Micah. Um, He's the Doc and, Holiday. Right. And, and he, he collapses at the top of the mountain. Um, and Dutch Vanderlyn intervenes before Micah can finish off Arthur Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of like, he's seen kind of like walking away from Micah, like Dutch Vanderlyn intervenes. And then Arthur Morgan's left on the mountain and then dies as the sun is coming up. Wow. Right? So he he spent his time trying to stop Dutch Vanderlyn, um, trying to stop Micah, who had gone on to do these unsavory things, and then dies at the top of the mountain in doing so. I'm sorry. I think I told that story pretty badly. But, you know, hopefully you get the the sense that, like, 
he was kind of a martyr. He sacrificed himself um, in, in order to kind of do the right thing, mm-hmm. right? And that was the end of, of Arthur Morgan. Um, I should point out that he also told other people, such as John Marston, like, get out of this gang, live your life, you know, and the gang kind of like disintegrates by that point in time, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of the end of Arthur Morgan's story. And I was like, wow, that was incredible. And like this, the the sun rising on Arthur Morgan's dead body as he like exhales his last, it's like a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And I've spent like, do, you know, many hours playing Arthur Morgan and then, and then his character passes away and, and like has this kind of redemptive arc where he tries to save all these people from Dutch Vanderlyn in the gang. And it's, it's great. And then the epilogue happens. <laughs> Do you know anything about the epilogue? No, I've heard uh, a lot of negative things about it, but I have not heard what it is. Again, the first game's epilogue is, I think, one of the most beautiful things I've ever played in a video game. So the epilogue here, uh, again, last game we had a dead character and then you play a new one. Do you play a new character in this epilogue? Uh, that's correct. You play John Marston. Oh, okay. So John Marston has escaped the Dutch Vanderling gang uh, at Arthur Morgan's best. And then so then you start playing as John Marston. And, and, and I should point out, by the way, that like when Arthur Morgan died – it wasn't super clear that he was dead, like because you know he stopped breathing, but maybe he was just resting. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like yeah. games, like games do this shit where they like or do this stuff. I should say, sorry, games do this stuff where they uh, you think someone's dead, but then they come back later. Like oh, I, I patched up the eighteen bullet wounds, right? So <laughs> I didn't know for a fact that Arthur Morgan was dead. I it the, it seemed like the game wanted me to understand that, but like I wasn't one hundred percent sure. So then you play John Marston. You're escaping with your wife and son. And I thought, oh, what a nice little button that basically like Arthur Morgan has has enabled the escape of these people from the gang. And you, you're now John Marston and you get to like have a nice little life, like a, a setup for, for, the um, for the next game. Next right? slash like, you, previous you, game. <laughs> you get your gang, you get your gang together and then um, uh, or not your gang, your, your wife and your family together. And then uh, Red Dead Redemption 1 happens. And I thought like, oh, what a nice little what a nice little like button on the end of the game, you know, a nice little, like, yeah. um, it's cool. Nice little dessert. Yeah. You know, it sounds really cool like, that you would play the character that you have already played. And it's, it's right, a prequel. Yeah. Right. It sounds awesome. It's great. It's great. The epilogue lasts six hours. <laughs> <laughs> like if it was like a 30 minute epilogue, I'd be like, Oh, what, what a delight. What an, what a perfect way to end that game. Yeah. yeah. But it is a six hour. It is its own game unto itself. <laughs> Classic right? Rockstar, man. It is. It's like you could release a game that is six hours long and sell for thirty dollars. You know, like yeah, that yeah. is its own game. Yeah. Right. And um, and, you know, it reminds me of uh, something that our mutual friend Dan Trachtenberg once said about a film, which is like the, the epilogue takes a complete thought and makes it incomplete. Mm, right. Yeah. It takes like what was a extremely satisfying story and then it's like, hey, here's a whole bunch of other shit with this character that um, – I'm sorry. There's no swearing on DLC, right? So here, here's a whole bunch of other stuff on this game uh, that – this other character who, yes, you might have played Red Dead Redemption 1 seven years ago, uh, but that you are basically not invested in. Uh, throughout the course of most of this story, so is the, uh, is the biggest problem is that it overstays its welcome, or is yes. or, okay? And that's it, really the all. But is that what you're doing interesting? You, well, what you're doing is you're basically <laughs> you are literally shoveling manure. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> in, in this in this epilogue, you 
you as John Marston, you're trying to go straight, right? right? <laughs> so you join a farm and you're like, I'll work on this farm, sir. And you're literally shoveling manure. You're building fences. Oh my goodness. Press X to build <laughs> fence. Press X to shovel manure. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. You're, you're, not only, no, not press X to shovel manure. Press X to press, you know, square to pick up manure, walk over to the wheelbarrow and put the manure into yeah. it. Yeah. Oh you know, you know? And then um, congratulations on all this time you spent in this game. Now we get to do this. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It just, it just, I felt like, oh my gosh, what a complete satisfying story. And then this epilogue happened and it's like its own, its own complete story. It's basically the, um, the video game of equivalent of what some people in the industry, uh, in TV and film call a backdoor pilot. Right. <laughs> right, right. It is like, right. here's a, here's a way we're going to sneak in a little John Marston prequel yeah. into the game for you. Right. And I found it to be like enormously frustrating. Now I know some people that like you could like the the game map opens up to you in a huge way during this section of the game. Like it's basically a whole other, you know, twenty to thirty percent of the map hmm. that like you haven't experienced like happens in this part of the game. Wow. And for people who love that exploration, who love the fishing and the hunting and all that stuff, um, and just riding around. Uh, I think you'll you'll really like the fact that it opens up that way. But for me, uh, I, I wanted a, a really satisfying ending to this story. And it goes through a whole arc for this character, Jeff. Like, John Marston, like, his wife leaves him because, because uh, like, the farm that you're working for becomes under attack. And then, John, you know, John Marston is like, well, I got to, like, take things into my own hands. And he, you know, gets out his gun and starts, like, killing people again. And the wife's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then she leaves. And then, like, he has to try to, like, get her back, you know. And it's a whole story right yeah, there, yeah. right? And some people are listening to this right now and they're thinking, that's awesome. I want another story in my Red Dead Redemption 2. And if that's the case, all the power to you. I'm glad you really liked it. But for me, I wanted the story to end. You know, I, I wanted an ending to the story. And um, and off like offhanded in a scene of dialogue, it's offhandedly dis- disclosed that um, John Marston is dead, and oh, like a character that you met, like oh, I buried him early, like I found him and I buried you him. You mean and- Arthur Morgan? I'm sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sorry, Arthur Morgan. Like it's disclo- like it, the whole time, the whole time, the whole time I'm playing as John Marston, I'm thinking to myself, hey. Um, is he going to meet Arthur Morgan? Like, did, is, did Arthur Morgan somehow miraculously survive that ordeal? Right. And he's going to meet him. And then he has a conversation with a character from earlier in the game where it's like, hey, I, I, I found John Marston and I buried oh, I'm sorry. I found Arthur Morgan. I buried him. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe that is the way I found out that Arthur Morgan is dead. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's the you – know, obviously, it's very intentional, right? It's obviously like a Game of Thrones-esque, like, we're dismissing, you know, the character's death, like, offhandedly and – that's what it's like in the West. You know, one day you're playing 30 hours as Arthur Morgan <laughs> and the next minute you're being like a, a, you're a clip of dialogue between two characters. You know, <laughs> right. like I get that that's what the game is trying to do, but I, I guess I, that's not what I wanted to have happen. Like, it's not what I um, thought the character deserved after um, the whole storyline that you went through with him. Yeah. So I, anyway, Jeff, I know I'm like overstaying my welcome on the DLC podcast right now. So like, no, this um, is great. <laughs> I won't go on for much longer, but I'll just say that, yeah, like you, you basically go through this whole arc with John Marston that lasts six to seven hours. And uh, if it was one hour, I'd be like, great, you know, awesome setup for the next game. Beautiful. But it's six to seven hours. And it's just like, I've spent so much time investing in this Arthur Morgan character. 
And now you're making me play as a completely, you're like ripping me out of that, like mental space and making me play as this completely different character who, if I played Red Dead Redemption one, I might care about, but still like, that's just, I think it's bad storytelling. You know, I just, it's not, it's, you have an epilogue with a completely different person. When I, so when I say all that, how does that sound to you? Like, does that sound appealing in any way? Like, no, no, no. Let me ask you this. (laughs) The epilogue for the first game, right? Because you play as. Uh, John Marston's son right. in the first game, yeah. right? How long did that last? It's not long. I think it. I, I think it. It's not sh- super short, but it's not six hours. It's like yeah. maybe an hour, like an hour, yeah. right? or something like that. Yeah. My, I'm going from my memory of it from years ago, but it it didn't feel over long. It felt like this incredible. It's an incredible moment when you sort of are him, and then you you have to do some you have to do some stuff. Like it's not just go pay respects to dad like you you play some game but it's not an entirely new game like it sounds like this is yeah i mean you 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 basically become a farmhand there's this uh, there's this episode of star trek the next generation Did you ever watch that show oh, i love that show um there's this episode where like picard uh is on the ship and then he like uh he they find a, an alien probe and then it, it like flashes a light at him and then he like passes out and then he finds himself on a different planet and he lives an entire lifetime, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think the, yes. the movie. This, I think I want to say it's Inner Light is the name of the episode. Oh, man, I, I um, wouldn't know, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and so he lives. He lives an entire life. He lives decades. Yeah, of of his life um, before like resuming uh, as a captain on the ship, and it, it basically they reminded me of that. It's like. I'm living an entire life in this epilogue. Right, right. <laughs> this epilogue that should take like uh, thirty to sixty minutes is is an entire game. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I think it's I mean, an example of something you see again and again and again with Rockstar games, and we've talked about it both in the mechanics and in the storytelling. More isn't always more. More is sometimes less. You know, and uh, I mean, luckily that's not the case here with you and me because uh, we've gone like double the length that I thought we were going to go, but more in he's actually more here. I've enjoyed it very much, but uh, sometimes more is less. And I feel like they you know, layer these systems on, 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 on. And theoretically it's interesting, you know, in sort of an abstract way, it's interesting to live a simulated life of, of the West, but in, in, in how it plays out for me, in practice, it is not particularly compelling, and I think it sounds like the narrative is that way too. It's like we're going to give you so much more at the end. I don't. That doesn't make it better. I think the ending is just really bizarre. To, to be honest, the word that I felt was like bizarre. Yeah, you know, uh, because it's, it's so after you do the John Marston stuff, you do all the missions. Um, it, the the game basically is like, hey, uh, now you own this farm. You own this farm that basically you were at at the beginning of Red Dead Redemption 1. Or not at the beginning, but like mm-hmm. um, Beecher's Hope is yeah. where your home was in Red Dead Redemption 1. So like you literally build the house in the game. Like it's a, it's an actual mini game of building the house that you live in in Red Dead Redemption 1. Right. And then uh, and then at the end of this whole epilogue, it's like, hey, you now you own a farm. So uh you can now you got to take care of the farm. Do whatever you want, you know, with the farm. <laughs> and so you you can theoretically continue playing. So it's essentially like New Game Plus. Yeah. But you're playing as a different character. Right. This would be like um you know, God of War, like you get to the end of the game and then like you restart the game and you're like the kid instead. Yeah. You know like or something. It's just like 
it's it's weird like i when i when i do new game plus or when i keep playing i want to play as a character that i spent all this time investing in you know not a completely different character i mean there's something really cool about that there's something really cool that the game is this whole other game at the end like you completed you completed the game and now a different game starts i think that's yeah. there's something yeah, yeah. kind of cool it's about like ambition it's super ambitious like what you cannot deny is that this is the vision of a singular uh, person or, or a very small group of people, yeah. right? Like you cannot deny that like um, there is authorial intention behind virtually every decision, yeah. right? So whatever they were trying for, they achieved it. Now, whether you like it or not, which I didn't a lot of it, you know, a, a lot of the decisions, um, uh, it, you, you can't deny that they didn't set out to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. And so bold move. What, what I can say to that, Jeff, is bold move. Yeah. Bold move to have a completely different game at the end of your yeah. game. Uh, let me just say one last thing as I wrap up here, uh, which is just that, like, I thought the characters overall were, like, extremely memorable, mm. right? You got Dutch Vanderlyn, you got Abigail Roberts, who plays John Marston's wife, um, uh, Sadie Adler, yeah. who is the first character that you rescue in the opening mission, right? Like, her whole family is massacred, right? Uh, and she becomes, like, a complete badass bounty hunter during the course of the game uh like that relation that character that relationship between arthur morgan john Morrison, sadie adler that kept me coming back to the game i was like at my at my time of highest frustration i was like i want to know what happens to these characters right and so uh, it's it's hard in movies to create characters that are memorable uh for a 90 minute period it's even harder to do it for a 40 hour period and i think the fact that the game did that you know, with multiple characters, Arthur Morgan, Dutch Vanderlyn, I know he's a previous character, but you know, a different version of that character, Sadie Adler, it's a huge accomplishment. And I don't want to deny that despite all my massive frustrations, the game is very special. And, um, and it is, in my opinion, is worth playing, but I totally understand anyone who does not want to play it. <laughs> well, it's been an awesome conversation with you, Dave. I appreciate you spending the time and talking through it. Uh, it, it is, it's awesome to be able to talk about video games like this. You know, I, I don't, I think we've, we're seeing more and more of it. We are clearly in a period of the golden age of video games right now. Um, but it, I remember for much of my life, you just couldn't have these kinds of discussions about video games. And it's, it's amazing that the resources, time and energy and pure manpower was put to work making this like, this is, it's an extraordinary, I described it on the show as feeling like an indie game, but it's the most expensive game ever made, right? It's It has the indie spirit of really shooting for something, trying to do something different and interesting and challenging. Uh, so in that, in that way, you can't help but applaud it. Agreed, sir. Agreed. Well, thanks. Tell people where they can uh, follow you and all of your different creations online. You can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. And if you are not seething with rage after hearing me talk about Red Dead Redemption 2 and you want to hear more uh, of the stuff that I do, the stuff that I'm interested in, subscribe to my newsletter at davechen.net slash letters. Awesome. And you can always listen to us uh, talk more. Dave and I talk more on the Slash Filmcast at slashfilmcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.